Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. It seems as almost since the dawn of man, there's been a symbiotic relationship <clears throat> between humans and dogs. And to think that humans first approach dogs or dogs first approach humans, however that uh, relationship began, was for anything other than food would be foolish. Oh, I'm sure it was. Mm-hmm. There was two species... Both a little chilly and both hungry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> both looking for a little, somebody needs to watch my six. <laughs> and that, yeah, that's what has, it has essentially continued on the relationship over the years. But so this week we're here to, to talk about that relationship. And uh, so this week in the studio, I've got, uh, I got Jordan with me. I'm here. Present. Jim. Yes, sir. Briar. How y'all? And Mr. Ryan Parsons. Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to love your dogs so God. much. Yeah, thanks. Thank you guys for for having me. I um, I, I'm new. I'm new to y'all's podcast, right? I mean, I, I I've known Jim for uh, probably ten years, but we've really never Very spent loosely, a whole. Yeah, yeah we really never spent. Uh, we've kind of circled each other in business a little bit, and <laughs> but we've really never spent a, a whole lot of time together. And we were fortunate enough a few weeks to go out to Kansas, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, and man, what a pleasure it has been getting to know you, Jim. Likewise, and. and so he says, we're having dinner out there. And he says, um, very flippantly, like very quickly. Anyway, and so I have my podcast and this and that. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what? Because I'm in the car. I live in the car for work. Not my podcast. I have a podcast. <laughs> we have a podcast, our podcast, sorry. And uh, what's it called? And I said, man, I looked it up right there at the table and, and I followed it. So I'm, I'm one episode in, guys. <laughs> I'm one episode into y'all's. I just listened to the one that you did Monday, I believe. Uh, we're talking about some long range shooting oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it was all okay i listened to a lot of podcasts i'm telling you i was enthralled I, I i was with you from the second and i don't even care about half that stuff but i found it so interesting and i love listening to guys that are passionate about what they're doing obviously i'm passionate about the outdoors um i know you asked me to introduce myself but i, I want to tell you guys how honored i am to be here uh and how humbled i am to be here to be with you guys I, um, but all over your Facebook page the last couple of days trying to put faces and, um, they didn't tell me how good looking you were, Briar. And so I'm, I'm grateful. To, <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful to be able to see that in you person. Just, yeah. you, here, you just got, you, you've just got, he's our new model since he got his eyes fixed. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I, I am very grateful to be here 
Uh, and uh, when Jim uh, asked me to, to, to come on with you guys and, and, and talk about dogs and, and Chapel, and um, who's my dog who's here right now asleep next to me in the podcast studio, totally passed out. Um, I mean, this is my outside of my family. This is my favorite thing on earth, right? And she's a part of our family. Um, you asked me to introduce myself. Well, I'm Ryan Parsons, and I grew up in Orlando. My mom and dad grew up in Orlando, and my grandparents grew up in Orlando. So we've been around a long, long time. I'm married to Sandra for almost uh, 13 years, 14 in uh, March. I have three boys. Jack is 11, Bo is 9, and Burke is 6. They are uh, budding outdoorsmen. Um, We talk about the woods uh, almost every night. I, I tell the little guys a, a series of stories that I've made up that are not even loosely based, but directly based on uh, experiences we've had out in Montana uh, and up in North Florida at our hunting camp, Baker Quail Plantation, which I think we'll get into at some point too. Um, all I've done literally is change the names from Jack, Bo, and Burke to Mac, Roe, and Kirk. And <laughs> they've just started to figure out that well, you're not talking about us, are you? And I, I will describe in detail uh, the the house that we that we stay in out Montana and our our, our cabin at our camp, uh, as if that's where this family. Of course, their dad's name is Brian, naturally, right? And the mom's name is Sandra, and they have a dog named Maple. And so I do that uh, in an effort to, well, not only calm them down and get them down for bed, but I want them dreaming about the outdoors, right, and loving that and and the stories are just ridiculous, right? I mean, they're just, they're, they, they're everything from going to, getting a call from the president of Nepal to go kill a Yeti that's attacking climbers on Mount Everest <laughs> to a, uh, a guy wanders off his property on his horse and finds himself in the bottom of a volcano. Anyway, my point is I'm trying to raise these boys um, as best I can living in the middle of downtown Orlando um, to love the outdoors. You're instilling the spirit of adventure. I am. Yeah. And that's lost, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's lost in a lot of families. It's just, it's different. I mean, my dad told me stories when we were little and it's just lost. But anyway, I'm in the insurance business here in town when, when, when I'm in town and every chance I get, I'm rather be in the woods or on the golf course or on the water. I just, I, I, I live to be, I can't sit still. So I live to be, live to be outside. And, and over the last couple, 18 months have lived to be next to chapel outside. So she goes everywhere with me. So I appreciate you guys having her tonight too. Yeah, I have no problem with it. And Chapel Lab? Chapel is a British field bred lab. Okay. And she came from a kennel uh, in Oxford, Mississippi called Sporting Life Kennels. All right. Marty Roberts is their head trainer there. Um, and Marty, man, love for y'all to get him on here. Uh, let me say this before we go any further about dogs. I, I am an average dog handler. Uh who has been very blessed to have two extraordinary dogs. Um, I'm not a, I'm no expert. I've got expert dogs. I'm no expert, right? I'm, I'm, Mm I, I am, I think you get one in life if you're lucky. And I've been fortunate to have two. Um, Genetics. It's genetics. It's, again, this is no pro talking here, but to me, it's genetics. It's what do you do with them? Mm. absolutely right what, what are you doing with your dog sitting in your kennel all day <clears throat> what do you do chapel goes everywhere when we take the kids to school she's in the car we pick them up she's in the car 
my wife or I have my wife or I have her almost all day long. Now you, she'll stay in the kennel if, if it doesn't work, but she starts out at night on her bed next to our bed and wakes up in it every morning. Um, I don't think you have to do that, but I think it helps, right? Um, genetics and, and experience. Mm-hmm. I got to say, when we were, so Ryan brought his dog out to hunt with us in Kansas. And where we hunted, um, guys we went with had their group of dogs. They were all using GSPs. And what was Yaya? Yaya Golden? Yeah, no, she's Yaya Lab. That's Yo, that, all right. that was an awesome little dog. So Yaya was a retriever. And and the rest of them doing the point. And they're working. And they're doing all right. And I'm watching uh, Chapel. And, but it's, we're talking the first 30 minutes. In, Why don't you give a quick weather report on the first Yeah, I was going to say, in, in five, five degrees Fahrenheit, 25 mile an hour winds, you, you took your gloves off and your hands, like, didn't start to ache. You took your gloves off, your hands hurt. It was like that fast. So, you know, she's running around doing the dog thing, but nothing didn't really seem to be quite jiving. Um, we knocked down a couple of pheasants, had one in my bag. We took a little break. Ryan came came over, grabbed a pheasant on my bag threw it on the ground starts doing dead in here dead in here is that the yeah, yeah, dead bird, dead, yeah dead bird and <clears throat> chapel's running man this bird's eight feet away and chapel goes into search mode and she's sniffing all of this just i'm watching i'm like this dog's just not clicking <laughs> right and all of a sudden boop, finds a pheasant brings to him i was like well that's good we'll see it's all it took once she had once she knows got it Target acquired heat seeking missile for three days. Holy, there was a, uh, not a golden, was it Yellow Lab? Yaya? Yeah. Yeah, she Another was dog, a Yellow Lab. Yaya, which was also a pure destroyer, man. She, that dog just sat around like had, you got one job, that was Yaya's job. She knew, go get the birds. But it was wild watching Yaya, who was a little bigger, older dog, um, and Chapel, man, if there was a bird down, pew, and to, to the guide's credit, I don't know if you noticed, like the guide started holding Yaya back. Yeah, so he, the, pu- he pulled me aside. He was our guide was great, by the way. He was Kyle. He, he was, was awesome, the man, cool guy. Um, he said to me, again, my dog is awesome. I, I have not. Okay, all right. So for the rest of this podcast, anything that sounds indulgent, I you know, it's not it's not me. Right, it's Chapel. Yes, I can understand that a I, lot. I, I, I mean, I, I don't want this to be about me. Um, we were having a drink before we went out prior to the story Jim told the, the night before, not, not the morning before we went out, the night before. And I said, hey, you know, I'm going to bring my dog if that's okay. And he kind of, yeah, a lot of people bring their dog, you know, gave me the yeah. kind of, right. we'll see how that goes, pal. You know, that kind of thing. And I said, I'm going to be honest, if you don't want her to come after tomorrow, just don't. Well, at the end of the first day, he looked at me and goes, we'll, we'll use your lab tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I stayed in the barn the rest of the day. I didn't yeah. go out. Went out with other folks who needed a dog. Yep. Yeah. But we, we were fine, and this isn't to knock the GSPs because they were they were definitely more um, pointing birds, and, and they would retrieve. And they did they did actually a fine job. Like if Chapel wasn't there or if Yaya hadn't been there, I still think we would have found most or all those birds. It just would have taken a lot longer. I think that's the thing when, when oh. you hunt with a lab. For me and and my experience, and I know we're going to get into some of this because I um. It, it, it's quicker. Yeah, we'll probably find them. Instantaneous in most cases. Like, oh, I, mean, I this is, the only experience I had hunting pheasants prior to this was, is it 
young kid. And I, I mean, I, I know quail are hard to find, man, for a bird that's this big, pheasants, they're, they're, they're fucking invisible. Excuse my French. Like they just, they stop moving and boop, they're gone. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that same thing holds up that when you shoot them and they fall into the big CRP grass, it's this tall, they're just gone. And, uh, there was times where we'd have four or five guys tromping around. We're sitting in a what, eight by 12 room here. No bigger than that. Stomping around for a couple of minutes. Cause these guys would be off working some other place and finally just be like, Ryan, send chapel bird back over. You know, just, it was incredible. Back to but yep. you know, that that's more about talking about just how good her nose and eyes are. But the other things that is a guy who can't have dogs because my allergies and what makes me think that if, if I've said this more than once, that if I had to do just one thing, it would be upland hunting with dogs is, is the, the fantastic discipline with, you know, she, she responds to the pointing. Yeah. Like the hand signals. Yeah. She's, yeah. She can line on hand signals. Yeah. And, and, and I've seen this too with your dog. Liberty, you know, where you know, kennel, the, the way they respond. And then just that, man, I'm, I'm getting along with it, but that, that relationship in seeing the dog is constantly checking back with the master, right? And, and looking for commands, looking for approval, getting the job well done. It's, it's not, it's not two beings when they're out there. It's one entity. And I, uh, that's really well said. There's nothing, I can't think of anything else that works in parallelism. Maybe marriage, except it ain't the same. <laughs> the, dog, <laughs> the dog lessons better. The, and that's not supposed to be detriment to women, but that is definitely true. Because that's too, that's a two handed thing. We're just happy to be men. Yeah, man. The, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I've said this before, that's why it kills me anytime somebody tries to portray that relationship as being anything other than uh, symbiotic and mutual. That bond is very reciprocal between the dog. At least a healthy relationship is, is, is it's unlike anything else I've seen. Babies and parents, maybe. You know, it's incredible. I guarantee you. If I locked Chapel and my wife in the trunk for an hour <laughs> and opened it up, Chapel Chapel would be happy to see me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you. Yeah, I guarantee you that's the truth. So Ryan, you know, we kind of, uh, I kind of briefly touched on the fact that you know the human and dog relationship goes back a, a long ways, and they estimate somewhere between fourteen and twenty nine thousand years ago. Wow, when they. Uh, first domestic when the first dog was domesticated uh when did you first fall in love and hunting in partnership with dogs uh so um out of attorney brother at florida state his name was gary caps uh and he had um this beautiful big block-headed british field-bred lab named gage and uh, I didn't grow up hunting. That just wasn't what we did. And I kind of got into it in college, right? Because I had a bunch of redneck buddies that, from <laughs> Tallahassee. And 
I've always wanted to do. It's just, it, we just didn't do it growing up. We just did other things. And, um, you know, they took me to Walmart, bought my first 870 pump, you know, everybody's favorite gun, use that as a boat paddle once or twice. But I, I was so into wanting to learn how to hunt going back to y'all's last podcast, which I just, I love that for that, just getting people into it. But I was so into wanting to do it. Um, and so this guy, Gary Caps takes me out to, to duck hunt a similar river somewhere up there. And Lake Seminole, Lake, Lake Seminole. Seminole. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Who the hell ever killed ducks on Lake Seminole, yeah. right? <laughs> a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, that, that's like, if you go to town, if you go to Florida state, you're, you know, you've got to shoot had wood ducks there. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody yeah. has. <laughs> off air um so he takes me out there and i I remember uh he had a gauge with him and we didn't kill any ducks uh but we came back to the truck and he you know patted on the tailgate and says load up and that dog just loaded up and then he went got the boat out of the water everything and i said dude your dog he's like he ain't going nowhere (laughs) i was like what do you mean they're not going anywhere where's he want to go i thought well i don't know everybody else's dog i know jumps around like an idiot you know Mm -hmm. and that moment stuck with me so bad like wow you could actually have your dog tell your dog to do something and it just does it he's like well yeah my family trains dogs well that was my first experience uh shortly thereafter gage sired a litter of puppies uh and i got my that's when i got my first personal dog uh who who i named weller after my favorite bourbon she was a chocolate um i went picked him up at, at 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 their family kennel there in Tallahassee and I knew I wanted a female and I knew I wanted a chocolate. So we, you know, they separate everything. I wanted a dark chocolate. So there were two left and, um, just like the movies, you know, one of them came over and was jumping up on me, you know, and I'm thinking, oh man, this is a really cute dog, except another one was in the bushes hunting lizards or something. Mm -hmm. And I said, I want that dog. And so I got Weller out of the bushes and that was that I left her with, him for uh about a year actually i was single and and working and didn't have the time to really do the puppy thing so he was gracious enough to take on the the job of of raising her uh for that first year so i'd leave her there for three months and then go get her for a month back home and then back and forth do that for a year and about that time um my uncle uh got involved with some guys who developed what is now Baker Quail Plantation, which Jim's been up to, uh, which is in McClenney up in North Florida, just um, west of Jacksonville. And so in conjunction with Weller being trained, I would often go get her during hunting season, go over and quail hunt at Baker. And so she really learned that upland style, which I think is different than duck dogs. I don't know if you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so. Like, I think does my dog have the ability to do it? Yeah, but I don't think she would. Does your dog. Very well. Duck hunt? Yes. See, I think she could do it, but I don't think she'd do it very well. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah, just, it's, it's, it's a totally it's, different. It's a different, almost a different style of training, really. I complete, we're, you're hunting lines, we're hunting areas. Yeah. Um, and so I really got a chance to finish Weller up there. Um, and, you know, I, I remember, <laughs> you talk about the bond and how does that happen. I remember sleeping in our cabin before we got heat put in in the sleeping bag and putting her in the sleeping bag with me because it was so cold and that's just that's mm-hmm. just a, you can't create that bond right i mean that, yeah. that you can't just manufacture that stuff so i would say that time in tallahassee will and then really those first couple of years uh in baker's infancy and then she became kind of a staple there I, you know i wasn't married at the time i had a ton of free time 
I could work from anywhere. So we used to quail hunt 30, 40 days a year. I mean, out of a 100-day season. I mean, we're up there all the time. She went every time. She always rode on the wagon. And Weller, just like Chapel, will strike, hold, and then retrieve. Or I can have her strike and retrieve. She'll steady the wing and shot, too. Um, And it just makes quick work, right? The bird dogs, like Jim said, are, are great. And, and they will find them, but they're not taught to, to hold like, like a lab is. They don't have a soft mouth. They'll, they'll grip down and, and kind of chew and roll the birds or they'll leave, they'll, they'll get distracted and leave them. I mean, these dogs retrieved a hand and you know, my favorite party trick was we could be 400 yards from the wagon or 500 yards from the wagon done with a couple of birds. We're walking back. I tell her to go load up and she would just absolutely tear ass to get back on that wagon and stand there mm-hmm. tall and wait for another for their command um pretty special pretty special thing to 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 be involved with she gets back there she's ready to go hunt she knows when you say yeah, yeah. load up we're, we're going somewhere else we're finding more birds <laughs> let's go if she's collar conditioned so if i if i uh change her just her regular collar not even put her e-collar on if i even grab that off the hook she'll spin 50 circles i mean she just knows yeah if i grab my whistle she hears that rattle it's just another world yeah i pulled the uh, well I don't think my dog knows much. Well, she associates the e-collar with, with good things. Right. Yeah, of so course. She, she knows that when I grab the e-collar, not necessarily hunting, but like. You go play. We're go going work. somewhere. Yep. We're going somewhere. We're going on the boat. We're, we're going to go on a trip, you know. I want to share. I wrote this down because I did not want to forget it because I think this is. You guys, Jordan and Briar being, being dog guys. and Are you a dog guy too, Will? I mean, do you I have, have, I have a uh, I have a blue tick and a 10 kinds of mutt. Uh, the blue tick is, uh, an idiot. he's about worthless. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and the mutt, uh, I really kick myself in the butt because I really think he could have been a hunting dog of some kind. Definitely not a, um, a duck dog that the idiot scared of water, but he listens really, really, really well. And I picked him out of that mutt litter the same way you picked yours when he's over there and he's underneath this, like. Uh, it was in a laundry room. So he's like up underneath the table, just barking his brains. And I reach my arm way back and he says, I want this one. And I drug him out of there and, uh, he's been a great dog. And then the blue tick, somebody dumped him on the side of the road in a cardboard box. And we were supposed to foster him until we found him a new home. Well, he found one. He found one, <laughs> but they're both, they're both good dogs. Uh, but well, as, the, as, as the room of dog guys, I, I've told this story to anybody I listened to. So w- when we were in Kansas behind the lodge, we stayed, uh, they had a dog barn, but it was only a, a dog barn for the guests that were staying. They had an entirely separate kennel, I think, down the road, which I never saw, but apparently 60 pointers and and 10 labs, I think they have there. You waking up? Yeah. was <laughs> just woken up talking about hunting. <laughs> but in this dog barn, there was, it was a heated shed is all it was, right? It was cold out there. But in there was probably... I'm just guessing 16 of those big wire cage kennels. And the idea was that you'd go put your dog in there cause they weren't allowed in the lodge. And you know, you have to have your own water and your own food and your own bowls, but you had a, like a place, a nice warm place to keep your dog. One of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life was at seven o'clock in the morning and at seven o'clock at night where you have all the hunters coming in to get their dogs up or coming in to put their dogs up at, at night and water them and feed them one more time before dinner. This place was an NFL locker room. I mean, it was 16 of the most stud dogs, you know, cause you're not driving your, yeah. you know, 
sorry, Will, you're not driving your, your blue tick across you know, all the no. way to Kansas to go no. sit in a kennel and not hunt. I mean, Absolutely these dogs not. could hunt. But what I found so endearing, and I think it's this testament to what we're talking about tonight, is you'd see these big, burly Texas guys, Oklahoma guys, and at the end of the day, they're in there putting you know, lotion on their dog's paws. Or one guy's dog got hit with a porcupine, so he's picking out quills. Mm. Another guy's in there, and he's got his face in the kennel, and he's all over the dog and rubbing their <laughs> nose. And you did such a good boy, good, good dog, good dog. And know. The, the, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you could be the biggest, most badass guy in the world, but if you're, you know, you want to thank your dog. And you know, we were in there, we kind of got to know each other after spending a week out there, and you'd see the same guys in the morning. How did, you know, how did, how did, how did Bruce do? How did Killer do? How did this? And oh man, they did great. Or we got into Porcupine today and here, hold his paw while I get this. And it just was this community of guys that all love, 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 love dogs. And I, I think it's one of the coolest, one of the coolest things I've ever seen. So I, I want to make sure I was able to mention that. It, yeah, it, yeah. Well, yeah. Talking about that. Well, Jim in the boat with me and uh, we, the, uh, the open day, regular duck season, and my my dog's second hunt. The first one we didn't we didn't hardly kill a bird in an early season, but my cousin shot a bird. I sent my dog out. She made her first retrieve. You thought I'd won the Super Bowl? Oh. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. I hear you. <laughs> Believe me, I hear you. Jim, get it. He was there. Like I said, it you, was. You thought I'd won the Super Bowl? You know, all the blood. I was talking around about this earlier. You know, if you've ever been out. If you hunt enough around dogs, eventually you're going to... I've never seen a dog shot, thank God. But I've seen... I've seen a shot that was a little too low. Like, it was just... Somebody got carried away, wasn't really paying that much attention. And they took a low shot over a dog, man. And you watch the dog owner, like, have what appears to be a disproportionate response. It's because you don't, you know... you. You don't get Almost, it. No, yeah. I, 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 I don't get it. You, 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 the only way it would have been worse is if you'd actually took a shot at one of their kids. You know, it's like, um, and that kind of goes back. My whole reason of, of loving to have these dog fellers on the podcast is, uh, I've talked about it before, is it's it's the guard the gate issue, right? It's all hunting, I think, is under attack to one, one aspect or another, but the easiest way that it's portrayed is that Dog owners use the dogs like as as as, as tools and, and these unfeeling, you know, just like like it was a a spade in the in the closet, you know. And uh, maybe there's folks out there like that. I just I don't see how it can possibly work like that because the dog, I don't believe, would work for someone in the way they do and be as effective as it did if there was a genuine love and appreciation and respect there. You know, it's a, it's a mutual relationship. So when people attack that, I get as a guy can't even own dogs, right? But when people attack that, it 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 gets me at a whole nother level. You know, the uh, you touched on it. We've had people been hunting with dogs for twenty thousand years, and own the last couple of decades has it become offensive to some. And you know, try to be forgiving, but those people can stick. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. You know, I, I really, I really want to get into that guarding the gate, guarding the gate issue in a minute because that is becoming, as we approach, uh, we're approaching a part of the year where state legislatures are changing rules and across many different states in the U.S. Uh, pertaining to hunting laws, and that's on the books. It's on the docket in several states. Um, 
But uh, before we do that, Ryan, I, I got a question for you. Yeah. Okay. So often we see dogs as something we need to teach to do a specific task, right? What's something you've learned from the dog? Because you spend enough time around dogs, especially hunting with dogs, and you watch dogs work and you watch dogs hunt. It eventually there, there's a point where something clicks, and you're like, oh. Well, that's why he's doing that or she's doing that. And then you learn to watch for those things to help you be a better hunter. Well, if the five of us went quail hunting tomorrow. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm I mean, in. I'll call yeah. it. I'll call it to work. And we went $100 a bird. I'm going to win. Not because I'm a better shot than you guys. You're all great. I know what she looks like when she's birdie. You guys don't know what that looks like. Yeah. You know what it looks like for your dog. You know what it looks like for your dog, Jordan, but you don't know what it looks like when my dog's birdie, but mm-hmm. I do. And so as far as help me, that 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 would be that would be it. I know what she looks like. In fact, I said to these guys several times, you know, if y'all everybody wants to go find a dead bird. Well, move out of the way, right? And and just let her go in there. You're putting too much sin in the way. Get out of the way. Let her do her job. Mm-hmm. And and it's a natural thing, right? To, well, let's go find it. Well, like Jim said, you can't, you, you can't find them, right? You just, yeah. you, I mean, you could trip they over and find it. And I, I know what it looks like when she's birdie on a live bird. And I know when she's getting ready to flush because she'll look back like, we ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. And I know what it looks like when she's close to a dead bird. I think that dovetails into, if, if that was a two-part question, I, I'd like to, wasn't, I'd like to make it that. And that is um, this dog and Weller um, has, have taught me not only unconditional love, right? Cause you can jump on a dog and, and, and you know, you're having a bad day or whatever. And you know, you trip over the thing and you know, and they don't care. I mean, they might react for a second, but they come right back and lick you. It goes back to my trunk example. But the other thing is, is they teach you trust. And I can't tell you how many times it happens and it's unintentional. It's totally unintentional, but Brian, you're an iron hunt and I'm on the left side and you're on the right and I've killed one over here and you say, Hey man, I, I killed one over here, but I didn't see where you killed it. I said, where is it? What's well, over that pine tree? So I'll take her over to that pine tree and hunt that area. And I'll look at you like, dude, it ain't over here. No, no, it is right there. So then I'll let her hunt a little wider and then she'll start getting birdie. No, get back over here. He said, he said, he said, it's here. Briar said it's here. Mm-hmm. She's saying it ain't here. So I'm going to let her hunt. No, get back over here. So we'll hunt an area several times. And finally, I'll just say, okay, you know, hunt him up dead, which means she's just going to hunt in a back and forth pattern. Well, 99% of the time, it wasn't where you thought it was. It's where she thought it was. Oh, right? but it did she not. She smelled it. It didn't take too many times for that to be figured out because, you know, you hit these pheasants and they're not all, you know, anybody that's birds know they don't all die on the way down. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd watch like, dude, you're standing right. I've never taken, you're standing right where that bird is. And the dog would be around and be like, ah, and, it's over and sure enough. You know, 25 yards away, boom, she's got the bird. So if I can relate this back to deer hunting for a minute, two things. The camouflage, right? You talk about how hard the birds are to find. You think that the birds, you, you like, as a deer hunter, I completely understand how the birds can be nearly impossible to find on the ground because I can't see a 150-pound animal half the time standing <laughs> yeah. 40 yards in front of me, let alone something that weighs less than two pounds in the thick grass. Right. I completely understand. Camouflage, we think that we know what we're doing camouflage as humans. Huh. Wrong. Yeah, Mother Nature's got it, got it figured so out. I've, I've hunted a bunch of quail. And the thing, quail, 
the downfall to coil, I guess, is because there's never just more. There's never just one. You know, somebody always breaks. But sometimes these pheasants. To give it a couple examples, I just posted a video uh, to our Under Pressure Outdoors Nation. There's a fellow dogs on point right on the edge of this grass. He's standing four front four feet in front of the dog, and sure enough, also the the bird gets up and the dog just grabs it. But I the saw guy that. was standing right on top yeah. of it. Dude, we had in a similar situation, dogs on point. You're walking up to the front, hoping to flush the bird, flush the bird, flush the bird. And I'm looking at where the dog's pupils are. Like it's not a point. Like I could tell that dog is actually got its eyes on the bird. And I go and stand like right where the dog is looking. And I'm like, where is this thing? Damn if I didn't catch that bird between the knees. Couldn't see it, right? And and before you laugh at that, like that, that I had that literally had that dog, that bird pinned between my knees for about two seconds. Just couldn't get a hand on it. it took off. Actually, I've been ones we missed. But later that day, we were in a row of uh, cut Milo, and um, that we, from the angle we were, we saw a pheasant in the Milo right at the feet of our guide. When I mean at the feet of the guide, I mean like if he almost kicked it. I think that and was I, me, Jim, because I go, I got a pheasant right here. Oh, it was. You're right. But yeah, you're, you're right. So, and uh, and well, then ironically, boot. ironically, we were going to try to get that pheasant up, but a couple others that were just, I don't know, eight feet in front of us we didn't see got up. We go, blam, blam, blam. Look back. That pheasant is still, boop, like, they didn't see me. And, uh, but I think our guide was next to you and he couldn't see it. Mm-mm. Like when we say it's right there. No, no, not, oh, not like three feet in front of you right there. And, uh, and I don't know what it is about the pheasants coloring cause they've got that beautiful face. But when you're looking down on them, they're, they're gone. You can see them. You can watch them run into a little stand of grass where you think that they must've run right through it. They did. They ran in there and just stopped. And you're watching it with your eyes and they just gone, just disappeared. You get why maybe you couldn't see a quail, right? Because of their coloring. Well, right. they're tiny. They're tiny yeah. and they, yeah. they are very much, you know, at our place, you know, we've got a lot of broom sage and whatnot. And so you that's the same color as a quail. Dude, a pheasant's dressed like Liberace. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, how do, how do you not see that thing in the CRP, the brown CRP grass? But you can't, it, they're ghosts. They are, man. I, I, and I don't know how it works. Um, like I said, I think the, the downfall to quail, because I think quail could probably do that too, but there's always a chicken in the bunch. And once one goes, they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's where, you know, bringing chapel or another strike dog um, is really awesome, right? Because a lot of plantations around the South that, you know, you have a guide in there and he'll take a stick and beat him up or, you know, more primitive way, kicking him up. When I tell her to get them up, man, they're up. Believe me. And the shooting's better and it's a good cubby rise and it's not as um, sporadic as, as as sometimes. Can we talk a little bit about verbiage, like the, the, the lingu- language you mentioned? Yeah. You get flush, you got strike, mm-hmm. point. What is, I mean, some of us know, but a lot of our listeners may not. What do each one of those terms mean in in, in handler language? Are you a- you're asking me? Yeah. I'm asking anybody who wants to answer the question. I don't have to answer it. You guys know what it uh, means, you, I'm sure. You, you tell me. I'm, yeah, I'm not you much have better. a much better um, understanding. Yeah, of you're, you're talking are. more upland stuff than. Yeah, I'm uh, calling my dog's name to tell it to go get it. <laughs> so, 
Um, I mean, I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm just, re- you know, I'm just repeating things that yeah. cool, cool people in the woods have said. No, so Chapel is what you would refer to as a wagon dog. Okay, and a wagon dog strikes and retrieves. People use English cockers. That's a very popular breed right now for that. You've seen. I mean, I probably have ten friends who have English cockers who before never had a dog, but they went quail hunting and they're cute little dogs. They're absolute balls of energy, uh, and they'll jump out there. And and so a wagon dog will strike or flush and then retrieve. Typically, what we do, the way we operate, is our bird dogs will go and point. When I say bird dogs, I mean English pointers or German short hairs. Okay, and that's something that. You know, for the for for anybody that's never done this before, I know you guys have in this room. That's a remarkable sight. That is a dog running absolutely wide opening, wide open, who gets a whiff of a live bird, and will stop. I mean, slam on the brakes, stop, and point a bird, a covey of birds. You really don't know. That's why it's called hunting. That dog will hold. Okay, so maybe you'll have it. Like we hunt with a guide or a handler that works our bird dogs, and I work chapel. Um, probably a good time to mention this. Anybody that's going, anybody that's going hunting with dogs and it's not your dog as much as you might want to don't talk to someone else's dog. You guys know that dog, my dog guys in the room know that do not talk to my dog. Don't, don't pet her. Don't talk to her. We're working, right? We're, we're symbiotic. Like Jim said. So I don't talk to our bird dogs. Our man, Bruce up there does. So now Jim and I have walked off the wagon chapels at heel. And when we're ready, I'll say, get him up. <laughs> yeah. Get her ears. <laughs> <laughs> She's ready. Yeah. She's like, what? what? Did right I miss now? something? <laughs> I was like, get him up. The bird's in there. Yeah. Cha- she chapel, just woke up from a nap. Woke up from her yeah, nap. From nap on that. Made her way around the table to get love from everybody. And now she's back to dad. Yeah, that's right. So I'll, I'll say, Chapel, get him up. Or bird's in there, one of the two. And she will jump in and bounce around. And uh, depending on kind of how I want it to go, a lot of times she'll turn and, and, and mark off of my gun, right? So if I'm pointed to the left and Briar, you're pointing off to the right, she will get yours in a minute. She's watching yeah. me. So she'll she'll look at me and she'll hold. Now, if I pull the trigger and I'll say dead, then she'll go on that line. Now, if she can't find it, mm-hmm. I'll stop her with, and I'll use the word look. And I say, look, she turns and looks at me. I'll hit a stop whistle, right? So one whistle. And then you duck guys know how we can work lines. Yeah, she's not great at lines. I mean, she can do it. I can. Oh, so even my my dog's not all that great at lines. I mean, she will hunt and hunt and hunt and hunt until she finds it. But that, that's where I I fell short on my dog. Is is that stuff? I wish we had a camera in here. As 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 Ryan's going through a couple different commands he'd use to get. A chapel cam? A, a yeah. chapel cam. Yeah. <laughs> because as he was kind of running through those, even though he wasn't giving chapel the order, man, the the, the look on the face. The body language. Boom, the eyes open, dialed in. Like he's he's using my words. What do, what am I supposed to do? And then as soon as he goes back to rubbing her behind the ears and things like that, back to the important stuff. But man, like there was such an... This is why I love the dogs, man. It's such a obvious recognition that I'm being told something. Like I'm, I am, I'm taking in data, taking in instructions. I do, do I need to execute? Just I can never, I'll never cease being amazed. I want to take this time, if I may, and, and dispel some stuff. And, and the dog guys in the room, I think, will agree with me. 
I've had people hunt and say, oh man, I'd, I'd love to get a dog, but man, I got little kids and they'll be messing with her and ruining her. That's, that's not true. Yeah. That's a bunch of bull crap. It's bull crap. It's uh, not true. I uh, had, a, I had a question. I was going to ask you your opinion on, but it's, it's good along those lines. It was, uh, the, the old saying that bird, uh, couches ruin bird dogs. <laughs> you know, I think I, I would tell you, I think that's probably true. Again, just m- my humble opinion. I would say that's probably more true for your pointers. I can um, maybe even some setters like the Llewellyn setters become very popular now. A lot of people are, I think that's a hard dog to have inside. Yeah. And GSPs out. too. Specifically GSPs and English pointers. The setters are better. The uh, English copper, cockers are, are great house dogs, but they're just rambunctious. you got to run them like crazy. But they're smaller, so you can kind of handle it. But you might walk in, and that thing's hanging on the chandelier. You know, I mean, they're just <laughs> nuts. That's, they're nuts. I'm going to kind of devil back to where you said you just kind of get, like, lucky with a dog. And I, I actually run a Boykin Spaniel. So I heard a lot of people call them like destroykins. They're just nuts. They'll ruin well, your house. I just wanted to point out the yeah, okay, studio that was, door. Yeah. That's a different story. But, uh, and they're like, they'll chew everything in your house. And I go to work for eight hours a day, 12, maybe more and come home and she's laying on the couch. She hasn't touched anything in the house. She hasn't ripped through anything. She is just now take her out hunting. You can, we can attest to it. You take her out. I, I use her to duck hunt. I use her. I been trying to work her on blood trailing and she'll, we uh, blood trailed a, a buck for William, and she just nose to the ground. Right. Does she have a hunt dead command that you use? No, I just tell her. Well, yeah, I hunt him up. Yeah, that's it, right? Yeah. Hunt or hunt dead. Yep. Yeah, and uh, but squirrel hunting, you take her to squirrel hunting, and she is just all through the woods like crazy. I mean, just does not stop people. It's like dog ever stop? I was like, eh, she might take like and she doesn't get. She doesn't get range very far. No, and she consistently she'll kind of seek out some, and then she'll come right back to me, and then she'll go around a little bit, and then she'll come right back to me. And that was just, natural ability. Yeah, and it's it's just been. I think I just got completely lucky with her to have such a good dog. You talk about how much the dogs work. The dogs that we saw in Kansas, they're explaining that some of those dogs are working seven days a week, mm-hmm. and when we were working, we're talking. Those are hardworking dogs. We get out there eight eight thirty nine o'clock, hunt till two noon. at a, well, well some guys two hunt at right a minimum, two right? o'clock. Yeah, and at, yeah, at two o'clock they were getting a little worn out. You'd start seeing them, but man, seven days. And uh, I was chatting with Kyle, and he was explaining, well, if you come out early season, dogs are a little slower, a little heavier. But when we were out there, man, it was like catching track athletes right in the middle, right right after taper, right. I mean, See, yeah. <laughs> dogs so, were in fuego. <laughs> And they I, ran a marathon that yeah. <laughs> that day too. I, I would say that we we constantly refer to that as as work, right? The dogs are working; they're having fun. That, that's not what they're doing. The dogs yeah. are out there playing. They're they're because you you hear the you say work, but you also hear the if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. That's a great point. Yeah, that's what the dog is doing. I mean, right? um, yeah. Imagine you're, you know, for for I'm in insurance, right? Right. So imagine if every time someone in my office came in with a red folder, which is a renewal folder in our office, I peed myself. <laughs> yeah. That's the dog. Right? That's now, she doesn't dog. pee herself, but, but, but I mean, that, that's what it is. This, if there's anybody listening to this podcast that has anything to do with the legislation of, of not being able to hunt with a dog, 
you've never seen it. And I'd invite you to come hunting with me because our old, our old cabin, we are the cabin, the way the cabin used to be up at, up at uh, Baker quail. We, we since did a little renovation, but used to have screen doors on the front. We had to replace the screens every year because when the wagon would pull around the front in the morning, we'd still be eating breakfast. The dogs go nuts. Weller would tear through the thing to get out and sit on the wagon. <laughs> I'd have to drag her off at lunch. I have to drag her off at lunch to feed her in, or to get her a nap, or she'd just sleep on the wagon all afternoon in between morning and afternoon hunt. There's there's no work. It's love. I mean, it's passion. It's it is. It's somebody told me one time it is PFM pure magic. Yep. Watching yeah. the dog work like that. Mm-hmm. So I've only been hunting pigs with dogs once. Um. And I think that's where some of the criticism comes in, because when you're talking about pigs that or uh, dogs that are, are are holding down good sized pigs, these dogs are all bred for different things. Well, tougher, gnarlier animal, and I don't know this because maybe they make great house dogs too. But I would imagine that some of those dogs are probably not the best couch dogs. However, same thing when. When the call comes and you see them, they're kind of doing their dog thing in the dog box and they're chilling. When it's time to go, when they get on the scent of that pig, nothing more than they would rather do. And what's even crazier, because some of those dogs do get beat up, which is where you see the criticisms come. Oh my gosh, that dude, I watched a guy put staples in a dog and then have to hold the dog back and put it in the box because the dog was like, I'm good, let's go. (laughs) You know, there's... And he did, that's good that he held him back. I'm not saying that he should have sent him. But the dog just wants to go. There's, it's what they do. So, right? I mean, it, to not hunt them. That's the crime, you know? It's yeah. what they're designed to do. Those guys that do that too, they're the only people you see that are out there that are investing in Kevlar vest, Kevlar collars, Kevlar, all this stuff to avoid having those instances happen. Mm-hmm. That's not the plan when it goes into that. That That's no. not, the dog was not, you know, the, they use a proportionately sized dog in hopes that it's going to hold the pig still. And the dog is trying well, to catch the you pig. You say in the, the dog, you have like two or three yeah, dogs, dogs holding one pig. Yeah. But they're, they're trained to go there and get a hold of that pig and hold it still so that nothing happens to it. And then you see there's a lot of controversy around hunting uh, big cats and bears with dogs because they also can do quite a bit of damage to a dog. But that's never the intention of the the dog handler to have that happen. And it's devastating to lose a dog in the line of of duty. I couldn't imagine. You want to see a grown man cry? Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. I mean, even when we were – I go go back to my example of the dog barn – you know, all those guys in there, it, guys are putting boots on their dogs, you know, because it's cold or because their feet are worn out from hunting for a few days. Chapel hunts in a vest when it's cold like that. So, uh, like, I, I, we're taking care of our dogs. You want to talk about the most well-cared-for dog? Go look at a guy that hunts with a dog. Yeah, you got that <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's deer that, dogs, all of them. I think another common misconception you see, too, with, uh, people that hunt with dogs, and I, I say more specifically here to the southeast where it's common to run deer with dogs, is that people look at 
these deer dogs, these, you know, long-legged walker hounds, stuff like that. I'm like, oh, they're so skinny. You can see their ribs. I'm like, yeah, well, just because he's not as fat as your couch dog yeah, doesn't mean he's <laughs> yeah. unhealthy. I said, that is an athlete. That dog will run, 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 run. And I guarantee you, he's way healthier than your dog is yep. that weighs, that's 30 pounds overweight because you feed it snossages. Our bird dogs at Baker are, by the end of the season, they're, you can see their ribs. It's just similar to what Jim described in Kansas. I'd like to point out they have unlimited food. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? They have automatic waters and automatic feeders. They have as much food as they can eat. And it's high protein food. High protein. It isn't some junk dog food. It's high protein food. And they have, their feeders are always full. It isn't a bowl, right? It isn't like you get two scoops like, the person who's complaining, who's fat, whose dog is fat, who right. gives their dog a scoop and a half every day, we give them as much food as they possibly want. Well, I want to point this out too, right? So you can, you say you can see the ribs on the dog, okay? But you can also see, you can see bones on some, on a person who's malnourished, but you can also see the bones on a bodybuilder. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to think that if I could cover as much distance as Chapel did, I could eat unlimited food and be able to see my ribs too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know. That's like Jordan. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. I just don't cover that much distance. <laughs> did we get the terms in? I don't know if we did. You know, I was I really, I was like, because you, you mentioned strike. And if yeah, I'm not so mistaken, and you yeah. can correct me if I'm wrong. Strike versus point. Strike means that you're on the birds. Where And, and I guess point is a lot of dogs, like you mentioned, when you when you say using a Visla or a GSP, they're booking along, and the way they strike is they do point. Boom! Right? And some of the dogs will even stay on point and track at the same time. I don't know if you're using the right. You know, when they're actually staying on point, but they're advancing. Yeah, they're the creeping. We don't they're, love that. No. Dogs supposed to stay We don't right love pointers. So we don't love creeping because they can bump birds like that if they're not. A lot of times they'll do that if they're not sure where they are. Because mm. they're not really seeing them, right? They're smelling them, right? Okay. And so I don't like a bird dog that creeps. For the simple fact that it could then, it, it may think the birds are over here, but it's creeping or, you know, or not be sure where exactly they are and they can end up busting your cubby before you're ready to shoot them. What our dogs, what we train our dogs to do at Baker, not Chapel, but our, our bird dogs is they'll point. And then when, when we get up there and realize like if she's gone in and bang, banged around and there's, there's no birds to flush, I don't want that bird dog creeping. I want our handler, Bruce, Bruce Hills, our, our, our man up in uh, Baker, he pats them on the head, and that's their free release command. And then they go back to hunting. And then, sure enough, 10 feet, 15 feet later, they'll lock back up again. We want them to hold. A creeping dog can get shot. It can pump up. A, it can bump birds. So, again, back to the safety of the dog. We want our dogs to point and hold. And in fact, some of our young dogs, when we're hunting chapel, Bruce, again, our guide up at Baker, he will, he'll come in, and he's got this neat – it's like a – it's a, he uses it to 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 flush up birds. It's like a it looks like a long, s- stiff healing stick. Yeah, it's yes, it's like Somewhere. that, but it's got like a flat. It's like a belt flap mm-hmm. on the end of it. Yeah. You ever seen that? Yeah. But the end of it, he's got a clip on it, and so for our young dogs, if we're afraid they're going to break or creep, when that dog goes on point, he'll actually leash that that bird dog up and walk back to the wagon with it, and then Chapel and I and the hunters will then finish the hunt, right? So then we'll flush, right? So strike and flush are the same thing. Right, so we'll strike. She'll strike or flush those the, that covey, and then I can heal her back to me. Heal would obviously mean come back to my left side. That's her heal, or she'll heal to the front if I say front. Um, and then hunt dead 
right? You're hunt that, that sure. hunt dead. Yeah. So he's woken, woken up again. Yeah. So hunt dead command for chapel means that nose is to the ground, right? So she could be running along. But if I, if I say dead or hunt dead or dead bird in there, that nose goes to the ground. That tail starts going sideways. A sideways tail on a lab typically means it would be, it's hunting hard, right? You, you have a lab, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So you know what I'm saying? That hunt dead command means boop, that nose goes to the ground. And kind of to your point back at when we were in Kansas, I was telling her to hunt dead. Well, she went past that pheasant three or four times. It's not like she didn't see it. She just never picked up a pheasant before. That's what I mean. Yeah. Once she found it, that Once was what is amazing it. is I, you wouldn't, uh, you know, cause it makes sense. Like not bird doesn't just mean bird. Right. Once she found the bird, that was it. It took one time. She picked it up. <laughs> yeah. Now, Chapel was force-fetched. Do you all know what that is? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Chapel was force-fetched. So, she, if she's told to fetch something, she picks it up in her mouth. That makes her feel comfortable. A lot of times, you'll see a lab rolling around somebody's house, particularly if they've been force-fetched. I don't know if y'all's dogs have been. But they so, always have something in their mouth. Explain yeah. Explain what force-fetch is. All right. Force-fetch uh, basically means you have taught the dog that it is more comfortable for his or herself to have something in their mouth than it is not. Yeah. And that is done in a extremely patient and humane way, but essentially you apply pressure to the dog until it puts the thing in its mouth. Mm-hmm. So uh, another word that you'll hear too, here's another buzzword for you, Jim is trophy. So, an excited dog will often trophy. If somebody comes in your house, Briar, does your dog pick up something and and and, and trophy yeah. around the house? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, my dog goes straight. She's got a little snake that's got two squeakers in it, and she will pick it up and just run. She wants everybody to see it. Yeah. Yep. So she's very comfortable with something in her mouth. And so back to the pheasant. So she didn't know what the heck she was picking up. She picked it up. Or maybe I I can't remember if she picked it up or maybe. she no, she sniffed it and I grabbed it and I and I held it and I said, fetch. And she's like, oh, this is what we're fetching? Yeah. Boom, put it in her mouth. No, you, you, threw it, you threw it on the ground and just told her. Did you tell what happened? Yeah. I, oh, she, sniffed, she dropped it. Because she was I, sniffing around for quite a while. And I yeah. was like, what the heck? But then she found it and she brought it right to you. But, but she dropped it on the way. Did she? Yeah. Yep. Maybe and she I, nicked okay. her, I nicked her with her collar and I said, fetch. And that means we're holding this thing. We're supposed yeah. to have this thing in our yeah. mouth. And, and it don't leave until you give the command. She... Brings it right to my left side and does not hold it until I take it from her. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's actually one of the people love like that's you said you had a party trick with your dog. Like that's the party trick with my dog. Like I can take her wherever, anywhere, and get her to hold something and I can walk off over here or walk off over there and she just sits there and holds it. That's great. And then I come yeah. back and I'm like, You It's it's either if it's something that like like a beer like a beer can or something and i'll tell her to drop it and she'll drop it in my hand or if it's like a piece of food like a sausage or a hamburger or something i say you can have it and then she'll drop it and eat it that's great we used to do this thing with weller just because i was young and stupid but i could train her she'd she'd heal to my front and i'd get down in her face this is a great party trick and she'd just that tail be going and i'd go you stop wagging that tail and that tail would go and just <laughs> stop and then I, and she would hold that tail still. <laughs> and I would take a Kleenex. I put a Kleenex in her mouth. And so you hold it. She'd hold it so light. She wouldn't get any saliva on it. Their mouths are so soft. Mm-hmm. You know? I love that. You can have it, though. I'm yeah. stealing that. That's great. You can put food in her mouth. Yeah. yeah. And she oh, won't yeah. just eat it. 
No. Now the problem is there'll be like that's a lab for you. (laughs) That's right. That's right. There'll be a gallon puddle of drool Drool. underneath her, (laughs) but she'll sit there and hold it. That's awesome. I've witnessed that myself with a piece of hamburger. She sits there and just just drool drool coming out of her mouth. So how how do you teach a dog a soft mouth? Because it's one of those things that. As a hunter, you don't realize how valuable it is until you hunt behind a dog that doesn't have a soft mouth, where you get back this gnarly, mangled ball of feathers, the holes punched in it, and broken legs. How, how do you teach that to a dog? So, I do think it's I think it's I think there's a lot of pedigree, right? I think that's I think that's a, a big part of it. But I think too, I know when we were working with with Weller, and I I didn't um, force fest chapel like we did Weller, but when I worked with Weller, it is so much of that holding their, the bottom of their jaw together and it's stroking their head and soft, hold, good, good, right? So you don't give them the opportunity to, to jump around and, 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 and gnaw on it and, and, and bite down and clamp and tear things. And then when you get to the field, you know, no dog's perfect, right? We hunted early dove season this year and it was so hot. I mean, it was, we were hunting t-shirts. I had ice on the bottom of her kennel just to keep her warm. It was so hot. And she didn't like all those dove feathers that kept coming out. Mm. But I brought her back. So she was kind of rolling the bird in her mouth because it was, they were, she was, her tongue was on the ground and it was just, it was a tough day for her. And she'd come over and, you know, get plenty of water, but, and get cool on that ice. But I had to hold her. Okay. I wanted her to stop rolling. So I just kind of took her mouth softly and said, whoa, hold it, hold it. We're just going to hold it. Good, good. It's so much of that positive reinforcement. I'm sure there's other ways that 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 guys th- do things. Older, probably more not so not so sensitive methods, maybe. But I, I we've always found that at least with 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 the way my dogs were trained is it's so much of that good, good. You know, and when they they force fetch them, they, they they use a dowel, right? Yeah. And so that doesn't necessarily it's a wooden dowel. That just doesn't feel great to roll in your mouth. I have mm. heard to keep uh, tennis balls away from your bird dogs because mm. they have a tendency to want to roll that and they get all coated in saliva and they I don't make the disgusting sound here, but yeah. that, that can be, yeah. that can be bad. But I, again, it's just a, if she was awake, I'd do it, but it's just a hold it. You just hold it. You're holding their, their snout kind of close softly and then pat their head and hold, hold good. Yeah. Good. good. I've, I've done good. it. You don't, you don't want to get them excited either. Mm-mm. So you don't want to be like, uh, you know, you don't want to use a lot of inflection in your voice. It's just like you said, a good, calm, nice, good, good dog. Real almost monotone like that. So I think that as generationally, it the way we train dogs has changed, right? Because if you watch uh, the, the best, worst example is old Disney movies. They got hunting dogs. The old guys mean to the dogs, and it was uh there was a time when negative reinforcement was king, but now I think that there's a lot more influence on positive reinforcement and more positive reinforcement of good, um, good traits, and mm-hmm. then I don't know if ignoring the bad traits is the wrong way is is the right way to say it, but I, maybe hey, one of you guys that, me, that actually okay well. So, so, for the research into training my dog that I've done, it's it's not it's more of you want to instill good habits, right? 
than it is to break bad habits. Yeah. Right. It's a lot easier. And then the the guy that I heard that put it the best is it's a it's the dog is comfortable doing what it wants to. You make it uncomfortable until it does what it's supposed to do. And then it's comfortable again. So you understand? When I started training my dog, um, I actually have a, a sus- subscription to a Patreon that's called Little Brown Dog Academy, which is a guy that trains. I mean, he trains labs and stuff, but he specializes in training Boykins. Blaine Tarnacki. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I learned from there that I use with Belle is when I was force fetching her, is it there's a spot in their ear. If you hold it just right, it's uncomfortable for them if you put pressure to it. Yep. And so if she was to try and roll it or something, you just put a little pressure to it and it's like, ooh, okay. Like it's not hurting them, but it just makes it uncomfortable for them. And they know that that's, if they do that, they don't, they don't want that. that Some dogs, some dogs will yelp and stuff like that. You just kind of got to, it's not hurting them. Like I said, they're doing that as a reaction to being uncomfortable. Yeah. So you kind of got to power through that. I've also seen where guys, when they force fetch dogs, they have them on a bench. Oh yeah. Working table for sure. Mm -hmm. They're, they have a, a lead from their collar up above them, so that the dog can't doesn't have a doesn't have any of that room to like try and move. Right. Yeah. You can't henpeck and yeah. move around. Yeah. I, but really, what I was getting at is, I, I think that the days of the way that Hollywood once portrayed the hunting dog. Yeah, that's gone. They're gone. Oh yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned Hollywood portrayal, and you mentioned Disney specifically. So you listen to how dogs are trained today, and and, and all the work, you know. We, we only all go back 40, 50 years. Well, some of us don't go back that far. Speak for yourself. You, you really think that, yeah. um, I, I don't think that in the 1950s that the standard way to train dogs was beat them into submission. It just doesn't it work. <laughs> yeah. You really think it okay. was? Um, if you want, if you were interested in it, I got a book oh, for yeah. you, Jim, and I was going to get to this when you're done. It's called uh, water dog. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. And it That's was, a great book. It's good, but it is, pretty outdated mm-hmm. um it is a lot of either you make the dog do it and it or and it will do it or you get a new dog that's most of the training in water dog i mean when i speak with from from disney I, you look at fox and the hound the dog lived in a barrel well let's see that's that's where i'm going he lives in a barrel it, you know what i mean that, that's not that's that's not the way the hunting dogs the way they're kept are like what you're portraying with the, with the heated kennel and the I, you know, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I mean, it was a Ritz Carlton for dogs. Right. I spent a thousand dollars on my dog kennel so she can ride in the back of my truck. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I ride in the passenger that. seat. No, she does that too. But hold on, guys. Go going back to this whole thing. With I understand the whole idea that if the dog's either capable or not, and sometimes you got to go get another dog. And hopefully, that doesn't mean you're going to go drown the dog or something like that. But yeah. What I I I. This is really a knock, and probably I think deservedly against Disney, especially with regards to animals and people. Hunters are almost always portrayed as evil or fools. One hundred percent. The dogs or the other animals are always mistreated, right? And uh, I, I just, I don't think that's the case. I think it's always been a little bit more old yeller than it would be the way. You know, that's not to say that there haven't been people that mistreat. Dogs, animals. I mean, they're around today and they always have been, you know, but, you know, if you got an asshole who's mistreating dogs, he's going to do it anyway. And there's no wonder the dog doesn't do what the guy would like him to do because he's never been patient and showed the mutual respect. You just can't. Kids aren't any different. You can you can coerce a child into doing what you want it to do. It'll a child will do things out of fear 
you might get some result, but they're not going to, they're not going to do it because they want to, and they want to show pride and they want, they want that reciprocal relationship. It's never going to be the same result as what you see with dogs like Liberty, Bell, Chapel, you know, Murphy, Brian Irish's dog. I mean, it's all hundred percent love. You know, I've, um, I didn't see you do it either. Of course, I really didn't see, I don't, I don't remember seeing Chapel make a misstep out there in three days. I've, I've seen dogs where, for whatever reason, the dog's um, not quite responding to a command. It ought to be responding to, for whatever reason. It's just either too excited or, or, or for whatever reason, just being a little ornery. And um, I can't, when I've hunted with those guys that are really good with their dogs, they may change the tone, but they don't yell. They don't lose control. It's it's a there's a firmness to the you know there's it's a command it's command authority right I understand right. that, but this idea of never seen a guy hit a dog, never seen him you know berate the dog or shake a dog. No way. You know. Yeah, it could, I wouldn't tolerate that. That thing's your baby. Yeah, yeah. I so, wouldn't tolerate watching somebody do that. Mm-mm. Yeah, but that's how it's portrayed in Disney. No, hundred percent. That's yeah. terrible because that's what. You mentioned it, like, oh, the days of, I'm like, I don't know if it ever was. I don't know if it ever was the way that you tried to get a dog to do what you wanted it to do. It's always been more more honey than vinegar, I'd imagine. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I get some, I'm just getting the point, there's not that many guys that are older than me. <laughs> <You> know, but, <laughs> I, I think, I was very fortunate when I first got into quail hunting to hunt with a guy named Alan Winston. And Alan was a, he, Alan unfortunately died, I think probably two, three years ago, we named our cabin after him now. It's called the Whitston Cabin. He was the original brains and founder behind Baker Quail Plantation. This guy loved to quail hunt. He loved to quail hunt so much that in his later years, he never even pulled the trigger. He just wanted to be out there, watch the dogs work, drive the Jeep, crack a cold beer, sit by the fire and tell stories. So I got to learn how that old school, now this is different than the Disney thing, right? right? How that old school hunter talked to their dog how they how they how they worked with their dogs and you know if you watch these old guys their bird dogs will come up jump put two paws up in their jeep and they'll pat them on the head and they'll they'll go on there's no screaming or yelling in fact he alan told me a a great story i don't know if it's true but let's pretend it is you guys know what old roy is the the Mm -hmm. oh yeah walmart brand dog food that was i'll tell you until i was uh probably had my own dogs i I was pretty sure that that was the only brand of dog food that existed do you know why it's called old roy no. Nobody's ever heard this? Nope. So Sam Walton was an avid bird hunter. Big time, big time quail hunter. And he drove a Cadillac or a Pontiac, one of those big body, you know, old school sedans. And he'd have him three or four bird dogs and they'd all ride in the trunk. Trunk. Except his favorite bird dog, whose name was? Roy. Old Roy. Old Roy. Yeah. And Old Roy rode in the front seat of that Cadillac when he'd ride out to the field to go quail hunt. That's where Old Roy comes from. I just remember uh, when we were growing up, man, I had to be maybe five or six and uh my dad had a springer spaniel and she ate old roy out of a hubcap that he found on the side of the road <laughs> yeah there's a ford hubcap <laughs> yeah. yeah i think that hubcap's still at the house yeah. probably it was it, it, but it worked great as a dog dish because it was just huge that's perfect. Could, yeah put his put the dog food in there and that's what she ate her old roy out of no there is an exception to the the whole movie thing and that is where the red fern grows Oh, Don't man. make me cry. <laughs> <Exactly>. no, forget <laughs> it. I've seen the movie. I've read the son in my book. Uh, uh, mm. 
read the book to your son. Yeah, read read my son the book. Yeah, is that not what I said the first time? That's what you meant. Yeah, that's what I meant. Read. I I've I've seen the movie. I read my son the book, and it's it's it's. Uh, I'm over here trying to read a bedtime story, trying just. Oh God! Not <laughs> choking back tears. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk about e-collars a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know e-collars get a bad rap sometimes. The people, and I think the common misconception with e-collars is they think they're a, a punishment tool, and that could be farther from the truth. I think why people assume that they're a punishment is because people think that when you shock your dog, that it's like you're shocking the ever living crap out of your dog. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. What no, I mean, first of all, I won't put a dog on the ground that doesn't have a collar on. Yeah. Particularly if we're hunting. And I, I'll, I'll tell people, it, it kind of goes back to the don't talk to my dog when, when we're hunting and don't talk to someone else's dog is because that's your, that's your hands when you can't get your hands to your dog. That's your safety line. Um, I don't keep one on her around the house, but if we're out in the front yard, I might, because what if she runs towards the street chasing a squirrel? I don't think she's going to do that, but what if she does? I could nick her with that, and boy, she'll stop. What if you're in the woods and you see a snake, but she doesn't? Your dog doesn't see it. You can nick her with that, and boy, they'll stop. So I, I think an e collar is paramount, and is every anything but punishment. Um, it's a little, it's a little reminder, and listen. If, if, if you're working your dog with a collar and you've never put that collar on your hand and shocked yourself on the on the, on the the number that oh you're God. shocking your dog. You're doing then, something wrong. Then you're doing something wrong. I'll say I've shocked, my, I've shocked myself well above what I've ever turned out. Absol- Absolutely. I think they're so important. Um, I'm certain there are people who use them wrong, but it's just a, hey, maybe don't, just a little nick. Maybe don't, I was say, the, maybe don't the, do that. The way so, I learned to use an e-collar was that you put it on the dog, right? And you start on one. If you nick it at one and the dog doesn't have a reaction, you turn it up to two. And if the dog finally gets, you know, you're nicking it at three and the dog's like, oh, and, and kind of has a reaction. You're like, all right, start at three. That's your working level. Yeah. So what I envision is a night where we all sit around playing Trivial Pursuit <laughs> with shot collars around our ankles and a couple of bottles of good bourbon. And man, if you miss an answer... I still like. You know, I, can, I can tell you. Light this. fire. So, pow. What, what, what color do you use? I use a. Gosh. I don't know. We uh probably Tritronics. I say that because that's what we use at the at the camp. I think we use that. Yeah. Now, a, a lot of I would say a lot of people who don't understand hunting and don't understand the importance of e collars probably don't know that there's a tone button on there. Yeah, yeah, I can tone right. it. I can, I can not have no idea where she has tone it, and she's right next to me. Tone. Right. So think about this. I was talking to one of our the guys we were uh, at the lodge out there. When you have the big windy days like they do in Kansas and Texas and Oklahoma, and they're bird hunting, and you got a like a long range dog, all those guys use this collar. That number one, it's a shot collar. Okay, it's an e collar, but it it gives a it gives a, a steady beep. Right, so you can hear where your dog is if you can't see him in that in that CRP grass. Number two, it'll change the cadence of the beep once the dog's on point, right? Because there's nothing worse than finding a dog on point that's been on point for five minutes, right? So if the tone is, you know, deep, 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 but the dog goes on point, it 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 stops, right? It's got a gyroscope in it, so it stops. 
It'll change from deet, 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 deet to deet, deet, deet. All right, hey, guys, there's a dog on point here somewhere, right? We got to find him. And then they have a very loud tone on theirs, which is their recall tone. The reason they use that, and I don't actually use a tone on chapel, I use a whistle. But if you get a windy day and they're buried in that CRP grass and they're, you know, 50 yards in front of you, they can't hear a whistle down yeah. there, but that collar is right there by their ears. They're going to hear that tone and come back. So if you see someone working a collar, there's a really good chance they're not putting any electricity to that dog, right? It, mm. it could very much just be they're toning it back. Now, when do I use electricity on Chapel? I'll use it on her if I've told her to heal or stay close and she wants to get out in front of me a little bit. I might hit her on, and there's a nick button, right, where it's just a fraction yeah, of a, a jolt. I might nick her on two her working speed is three or working setting is three i might nick her on two and say close and that means all right now we're serious with weller i got to the point where i didn't charge her collar i just put it on her and she knew that we were going to work um so i think i, I think they get a very unfair rap i'm certain that is something that someone could turn into oh absolutely it, it's it's been tr- i yeah. think there was some place that was trying to outlaw e-callers and you know i uh, where you say that you just put it on her, it's a crazy difference between even if I'm just like at the house and I I put the collar on Bell. Bell turns into totally different dog, completely right? different dog. Yeah. Like I swear I put because I, I use the Garmin Sport Pro and it's got a beacon we light use on the it. Same, yeah. So I put that collar on my dog so she can run around and I have the light on her at night and I can see her. Yeah. At heel. <laughs> I was <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not so, the point, you, but right. She that's just she knows, you know. I tell you, I tell you a funny uh a funny e-collar story. I'm a dog Jackson, he's nine times nine kinds of mutt. And uh, literally we did a, a a DNA test on him. He's literally like 15 different kinds of mutt. <laughs> um <clears throat> but uh my neighbor had one for his dogs and I was like, "Let me see a thing for a second. Put it on Jackson. He's wandering around." And I didn't shock him, but I vibrated him. Oh, You'd have thought I hit him with 10,000 volts of electricity when that collar vibrated. (laughs) That dog trying to kick it off his neck with his back feet. I'm like, oh, easy, bud. Easy, bud. That's just a vibrate. All it did was vibrate. (laughs) I was trying to go back and find the episode. um, If you heard a little familiar podcast playing in the background. And I was trying to go back to a little over a year ago. was fortunate enough to do a podcast back before I joined the crew with Brian Irish. I don't know if he related the story on the show. If he did, forgive the repeat, but... He explained the first time that when he was uh, using the e-collar to to snake-proof Murphy, and uh, you know they, they have a snake, I guess it's defanged, degland, whatever. Put the dog out, and you, you hit it with the shock collar, e-collar, right? Give it a, give it a pretty good jolt because you need to reinforce that this no is good. bad juju, right? And uh, Brian goes in. Explain. I mean, he felt terrible. Like hit dog and dog, you know, yelps and is is doesn't necessarily want to come back to Brian right away. Like what the heck just happened? Right? Never, never experienced anything like that before. And I think it was middle of late last season. They were out in one of the WMAs, and Murph's out there doing its thing, and all of a sudden just pulls up and. Yelps, jumps back, and sure enough, they walk up. Big old rattler. <clears throat> so you can question the methods, but you know, you you give that dog a brief experience of displeasure, and arguably saves its life, or certainly saves 
an awful lot of other headaches. And I, you can't, until you can teach a dog to read and understand venom glands and diagrams and, you know, big old nasty welts, I don't see any other way around it. So if you're interested in finding that episode, it's episode 56, Mr. Bob White, and we joined uh, Jim and Brian Irish out at Three Lakes Wildlife Management Area. There you go. So it's a little noisy um, because people riding on four-wheelers and everything else, but it was a good episode. I mm-hmm. still love Three Lakes. Who has kids in here? I have kids. If your three-year-old ran in the street, would you spank it? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Spank him now. Is, I don't want him to get hit by a car. <laughs> 20 years Is old. it important that he doesn't run in the street? Right. That's why we put e-collars on dogs. That's why we snake train dogs. It's that simple, man. Yep. It's not, it's not a, it's not a, you don't spank your kid when you're mad. You spank your, your kid when they've done something they shouldn't have done. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't spank your kid for running the street because you're mad at him. You spank it because you care about him. Sure, That's right. why we snake train dogs. Yeah. You, We're in Florida, man. It's hot when quail season starts. It's hot during dove season. You guys are Small game hunting with all kinds of critters and snakes and stuff cruising around the woods. It's important. And by yeah. the way, Jim, you know, you said that a dog can't read and wouldn't know about a welt. You get hit with a rattlesnake and a welt, your dog's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. He's gone. Particularly if you're in the woods, you know. I, I, that's a bad, 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 bad deal. Moving on to a little more positive subject. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned a whole bunch of birds. So, uh, Chapel... There's now retrieve, you know, pheasants, one or two quail. Yeah, one or two. Snipe? Uh, I haven't taken her yet, but oh, okay. I think we can figure that out. Don't Weller did that. I, I sp- I'm going to get Liberty on some snipe. You mentioned that uh, she had a little rougher time with the doves because, you know, I mean, anybody that's handled a dove knows you pick it up and, like, feathers just start falling off like snowflakes. I, specifically, I was wondering about snipe. Do you ever notice if, if Weller – just didn't seem to respond quite as enthusiastically to grabbing snipe, say, versus other dog or other birds. Or is is there another bird that maybe you've noticed that sometimes dogs aren't quite as enthusiastic to go after? I have not experienced that. Okay. And I took her took well or snipe hunting a handful of times. It wasn't something we did all the time. I mean it was primarily quail and dove and ducks. I took her duck hunting a bunch. But I think it's again, a force vest dog is comfortable with something in their mouth. Once they understand what you want them to pick up. I mean, I think the reality is in this podcast studio right now, there's nothing in here that she thinks she needs to pick up. But if you put that paper towel roll on the ground and I told her that's what she needed to pick up and there were five more, she'd pick them all up. Right? Yeah. So this is what we're picking up. Now she can't, you know, doesn't know the smell or anything, but once they associate with what you need to pick up, then they associate the smell. And like Jim said, it was off to the races after that I, I specifically let snipe because more than one fellers mentioned that for some reason their dogs just don't seem to be quite as like they'll go get them and they'll bring them in that's their job right but at the end they just don't seem quite as enthusiastic to grab hmm. snipe i love them think they taste great but i was just wondering if perhaps you know, at the end it is in their mouth i assume the dogs like people get a fair amount of their taste through their nose and whatnot I was wondering if perhaps there was something about Snipe that maybe dogs find a little off, off-putting. To but, that subject, real quick, I had an uncle that had a uh, yellow lab. Hated picking up merganzas. Fish dog. Mm-hmm. Fish bird, yeah. Hated picking them up. So, in the beginnings of having Bell, uh, I went Snipe hunting. And I took a crack shot at a crow to see if I could hit it. And she was not at all enthusiastic about bringing the crow back. It was just she kind of lagged her way back. She did not want anything to do with that crow. 
But she had brought back other kinds of birds before. Yeah. She was just... <laughs> that crow was not her. She didn't. I don't know if she didn't like the taste of it or... I bet if like... you'd been crow hunting all day, yeah, by the second or third of an, it, it'd have been hmm. second nature. Yeah. Hmm. That, I had that. I did have that happen with her. We had some pigeons that were roosting in our like roof line out in Montana. And I'd had absolutely enough of my porch being covered in that. And so I had one of my boys go out the back door and scare them out. And I was standing out down the driveway and they flew over and I shot a nice double. But <laughs> so I sent Chapel with just a pup out there to go see what she did. And she knows it around and I told her to fetch. She eventually fetched it, but was like, this is not, this is not, I'm not interested in doing this. Yeah. But I bet if we had been pigeon hunting all day long, right. She'd have gotten it. It's something I've always wanted to do. I've seen it done. Never have done it. And if I'm nothing, if not an opportunist, I would love to go out where guys set up just in a hedge line next to a big old silo in the morning. Have a guy run up there and just beat the hell out of that silo to get the pigeons to come flushing out. And then I guess after a while, they all come running right back in. So you're getting them coming and going. Yeah. I, I just, that just sounds like a wonderful way to spend the morning. <laughs> we got We got to set up a Whacking and stacking. We gotta set up a crow hunt. Yeah, no place we can do a crow oh. hunt. I can make some crow decoys. St. I've John's got a River. Thing. I've got a predator call with a nice little crow, little flipper on top. We we get it done. Yeah. Mm. You ever actually been an honest guy crow hunt? No. Oh, dude. they are so responsive to calling. It's almost it's it ain't really hunting. So really, the, the cool thing about crows is you can use an electric call for crows. So I'll take my predator call, and you'll set up a crow in distress call on that predator call and they will come from everywhere yep. to help their buddy. Is there a high limit on crows? I don't know if there is a limit. If it is, it's like know. 12 or 15. Yeah. Might Pretty high. And they taste delicious. Yeah. Oh, they are. Crow, yeah. crow, don't let the black feathers fool you. And everybody think, oh, they eat carrion. I'm like, I think you got the wrong species. I'm sure maybe they will. A lot of birds eat carrion, but you know, where do I see crows mainly? Fields. Yeah, right. Walmart parking lot, mm-hmm. French fries, uh, baby. French fries. <laughs> Disney, you're not helping my case. <laughs> but I don't really care because everything's got a liver for a reason. Um, crow's fantastic, man. Like it's not just well, you can eat it. It's good. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jim. Jim got me to eat it without telling me what it was, and I was like, it was actually the night this? that we recorded that episode with Brian Irish. I was yeah. like, what is this? And Jim's like, it's crow. I'm like, oh, they better hope I don't find a good spot to hunt them because. They're that good. No, yeah. it well, was amazing. The whiskey cream sauce probably helped a little bit, but yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of whiskey cream sauce. Man, that <laughs> so sounds good. It's good. Medium so, rare, man. Medium rare. So you you uh, you talk a lot about Weller, and I assume Weller's not with us anymore. Oh man, oh, I figured something. we're gonna get to this at some point. Yeah, and and I you know because for most people, dogs they're a part of the family. They're not just a pet. Um. And losing a dog can be a devastating blow. Uh, but generally, a hunting dog reaches a point where they have a "quote unquote" retirement. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I kind of want to talk about how much more connected because somewhere near uh, that was going to be my next yeah, question. How much the the difference in a relationship between a dog that you hunt with and a couch dog before we get into the oh yeah go ahead yeah uh, what is the difference in relationship because I mean I have couch dogs right uh, yeah but you love them 
I do. Dearly. Yeah, they're I part do. of and your family. Arguably, my dog Jackson is the best dog I've ever had. Because I, I put the e-collar on him one time, but I've never had a dog. If I sent Jackson across the backyard on a squirrel, because he loves to chase squirrels, hates birds, loves to chase birds. If he's halfway across the yard and I yelled his name, he will stop and look back at me. He knows at that point, whoop, I better, I better quit. He looks right back. He'll come back, and Huckleberry listens too, but Huckleberry has a mind of his own. I'll call his name, and Huckleberry's going to come, but Huckleberry's going to come on his own terms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wanders back real slow. He's kind of like Eeyore. It's <laughs> the best way. He just, he, I just feel like that's how he talks. Well, we're going to go over here. But if I call Jackson, Jackson, boom, right back to me. He's, what do you need? Why, why am I here? Um, I got a guy that's got a boy and a girl, and they're kind of the same way. Yeah, I got a, I got a smart dog and a doofus. Well, I wasn't saying doofus, but <laughs> one of them seems to be really responsive. The other one kind of does it her own way. Oops. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, both mine are males, and Huckleberry is a, is, a, is a doofus. But Jackson, and they're both very intelligent dogs, but he's just very responsive, and I, and I was big when I got my own dogs, lived in my own apartment, wanted to get dogs. I was super big on, I want obedience training. So all my dogs now, ever since I've had dogs, when I got married to my wife, when we got in our own apartment, my big thing was growing up, we had dogs. You try to pour food in the bowl and the dogs are trying to eat it while you pour it and it aggravated the crap out of me. So my dogs sit, I pour the food, I set it down and the dogs don't eat until I tell them they can eat. That's so good. Yeah. And they will sit there and just drool that giant puddle of drool on the floor. And I feel terrible. Sometimes like sit and I put the bowl down and I'll walk away because the kids will say something. I'll come back five minutes and then both the dogs are sitting there just looking at me like, can we eat yet? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh man, I feel bad. Go ahead. And they go down and they eat. And uh, I'll sit there and I'll mess with them and I'll say, all right, you can uh, peanut butter. And they kind of jump. And then uh, the, you say no, and they kind of jump. And you're like, all right, go. And then poof, right down to the food and eat their dinner. I got a funny story about that. So when we had Weller, uh, my mom and dad were staying with Jack. He was just a baby. I don't remember where we were, but they were staying with him, and we were out of town, wherever. And my dad called, uh, who's not necessarily a dog guy, right? I mean, grew up with dogs like probably everybody did in old Florida, but they don't have a dog now. Right. And so now they're taking care of this baby and a dog. And he calls, and he says, uh, dude, something wrong with your dog. I said, what's wrong? He goes, well, I put food in the bowl, and I don't know if she's waiting for me to say the blessing or what, but – She's just standing there. I said, I said, just say her name because they release on their name. And he goes, Weller. And she went to Eaton. But, I mean, he's like, well, like I said, Grace here. I mean, what the heck are we waiting <laughs> on, man? Yeah, Goodness another gracious. Thing. Um, well, Liberty's command to, uh, to like, eat or something, like just, like, a general release command for is okay. Yep, we use okay. My uh, So, at Christmas time, I had – Liberty there at my parents' house and, you know, family around. And my uncle tried to give Liberty a chip. She wouldn't eat it. And I'm like, yes, because you got to tell her okay. And so yeah, I'm like, try it again. And he's like, held the chip out. And I'm like, okay. She probably took his hand off. And I was like, see? <laughs> I think that's a great thing that you do with your dogs. We do it with ours too. Yeah. I think any chance you get where they're doing something because you told them they can or because you would like them to, they're thrilled to do it, and it just reinforces that bond. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and like, I, oh, go ahead. 
I think that's one of those things that kind of builds that bond with the hunting dog. Totally. That, that stronger bond, right? Because the reaction that, the happiness that I get out of my dog seeing her do something that she knows I wanted her to do is just phenomenal. So I'll give you another obedience thing that I did with my dogs. And this was just foreseeing the fact that one day I would have children after I had dogs. From the time that our dogs were puppies, every time we would feed them, dogs are naturally protective over their food. So we'd put a, I'd let them eat, let them start eating. And I'd go and I'd stick my hand in the food bowl. Yep. And I'd start messing with their food. And I got them to the point where if I stuck my hand down, they'd back up, sit down. So, and now that works, it worked great when my son was born because what do little kids want to do? They just, they're just inquisitive about everything. Sure. So the little baby would crawl over, stick their hand in the food bowl, the dog would back up. There's no growling about it. It's just, okay, get out of the way. Yeah. We, you can't tolerate that either. Right. I've seen that go the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and, and, and you got to get rid of your dog. I mean, right. Unless your well, wife will let you get rid of the baby, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. But it comes, it's, it's, it's forward thinking, right? Because it's not necessarily the dog's fault. Uh, if I was counting on my two meals a day and that's all I got or whatever, and you were going to come take some of my food. And if not, I was going to go hungry. I'm a pretty, I'm be pretty upset too. Right. But I was conscious enough to think ahead and say, you know what? Kids, they don't have an ill intent to go over there and mess with the dog's food. They're just little kids. They don't understand, but the dog needs to understand that if something's messing with this, they're not going to take it. You don't have to fight for your food here. This is coming every day, the same time. It's going to be here. You can have food. If somebody comes over and touches it, you just back up, leave it alone. And that's the way we trained our dogs from, man, I had dogs for five years before I ever had kids. Right. So the time that came around, the dogs just understood. Okay, well, back up. No big deal. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and I'll come get the kids out of the way, and the dogs go back to eating. Well, so, to circle back around to Jordan's original question about you know the bond of of your hunting dog versus your regular couch dog, because I have both. I have my hunting dog, and I have my couch dog. And now I, I love my couch house dog, you know, a lot, but I also love my hunting dog, and the, it's different. Um, Annie, my house dog. You know, she's at the house, and I love her, but Liberty goes more places with me. You know, we spent, you know, so much more time with training, and so we had that more time together to build a bond, and you almost see that come out, and you see the joy the dog gets from the work, and it's not necessarily work to the dog. It's like... yeah it's hard to explain it's not really play because the dog is working it is work let's call it it is work it's a working dog but But they love it yeah Yeah. they love it so much it's not work you know what i mean i I honestly think that i get just as much like butterflies or, or like enjoyment out of seeing that dog enjoying working like i love seeing that dog work just as much as that dog loves working that's why I keep saying that I keep saying the bond is, is so reciprocal. Um, I know we've said this before. You've even alluded to it. Um, or, or I keep going back to Brian. Brian's you, oh, try to get Brian Irish to go hunting. We can't if he doesn't get to bring his dog. 
He don't want to go. Can't get him to go to a small game hunt. Doesn't want to go deer hunting. Not interested in going on any sort of bird hunting trip that he doesn't get to take his dog. It's not about the hunting. The hunting is just the activity that he gets to use to interact with his dog. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. The, the dog guys are, they're dog guys. They're hunters, but we're, I'm, I'm definitely like in that relationship. I'm a hunter who likes to hunt with dogs. Dog guys are dog guys who like to hunt. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, so, I mean, to explain that, like if I could go duck hunting and my dog in Liberty could pick up ducks and I didn't have to kill them, I'd be perfectly happy. If I never shot another <laughs> quail again in my life, I'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. As long as my dog got to go pick, do that, I would be, if I never pulled the trigger, all right, as long as my dog got to go make a retrieve. I found myself whenever we do these podcasts or after I get a chance to hunt with somebody's talented as Chapel, I keep thinking, man, there's got to be a way. You know, I just, I mean, right now we're in the podcast and, and Chapel's laying here on the floor, but Chapel's not been really rambunctious. I just get allergic. To, I'm allergic to the stuff that gets in the air. And I know that if I wasn't three shots deep on an inhaler right now, I'd be. She bought it. I can put her up. <laughs> no, no. It's it's the stuff of the air. That's that's another thing too. There's a guy with an allergies. When you're allergic to the damn the the microscopic stuff that's in the air, you it you could take her home. And if I stay in here without uh, an inhaler, I'll start getting asthma. I can tell when he has, or when one of you guys, I can, I can tell when you've had a dog in here recently and not when I sit in here and do a podcast because by the time I'm leaving, I'm starting to get that chest congestion. So I, I can't have a dog, which it, has there ever been a little boy made that didn't want a dog? I mean, I've always wanted one. <laughs> that's that's the worst affliction yeah. I've ever heard of. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it is because um, I'm pretty darn sure because like, when I get into things, I tend to get all the way into them that I would be. Oh, you'd a, have a kennel of 10 oh, dogs probably your would, house. man. Yeah. I'd have, a, I'd have, a, I'd probably have more than one um, and would probably be all in. So I don't know, but I, I also cause I, I'm sure that I could make it work with an all outdoor dog. Oh, I don't know if that's really fair either. I know What's it's an all outdoor but, dog. Um, I like couch cuddles. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> she sleeps in the bed. Well, starts well, off on the floor. Well, so that's actually a pretty yeah. good transition because up at Baker, you got a whole bunch of dogs that spend a whole bunch of time in a kennel, right, and don't necessarily have the couch experience. Yeah. Um, but I think is it also fair to say that. Yeah, this is a terrible way to put it, but if there was a fire and Chapel and one of those dogs in there, you can only get one who's coming out first. <laughs> Chapel, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and that's natural. Yeah. It's who you've got the closest relationship with. For those of you listening, the the bird dogs are in a uh, non-combustible kennel. So. <laughs> that, that was my yeah. terrible for Jim's awful, yeah, awful evil scenario, example. right? Yeah. Evil example. I apologize. But that and that that's like I said. I suppose if I really, but if you. I guess that's what it is. I can't have what you have. I don't know. So I don't know if I want it. You know. <laughs> so. Well, I think the worst part about that experience is when they go. Well, that kind of goes back to the coming. question Will was going to mention. Do you want to talk about what? How? I'm happy to talk about it. It's I so. Knew it was if coming. you need a minute, just it's okay. We understand. As long as there's you no know. video. I, so, all right, to Love lead us, I, I inadvertently asked. Just we had a conversation. And it was this evening. I I asked just out of curiosity because he's got he's got a bunch of dogs. I asked Ryan. I said, "You ever have a dog that man was just kind of all on fire, and then all of a sudden one day just quit?" And there's your lead. Yeah. So um, 
Man. You I don't have to think date. about this. Pardon? You know the date. Yeah, it was January 1st, 2015. Chapel was, uh, gosh, Weller was 11. Was he born in, two th- yeah, 11. Maybe it was 2014. Doesn't, 16, 2016. It was 2016. She was 11 and a half. And we were quail hunting at Baker and she was wagon-dogging all season, pretty good, had cancer at the time. We were taking her to a, uh, of all things, a Chinese medicine person who was doing acupuncture on her. I mean, there'd be days where she couldn't walk. She'd go get acupuncture and then be repairing to go. So uh, our a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jim and, and me, Roman Hammis and I were hunting, and I sent Well on a retrieve. And she got about halfway out, turned around, came back, laid down the wagon, and I said, that's it. We're done. Done. I'm not doing this anymore. It's too, I'm not, she was done. I said, I was done. We're done. Done, done, done. And so that was tough. That was really emotional for me because she'd never quit, but she didn't have any more go. And I brought her home. I wrote the very indulgent post on Facebook about how I've retired her and now she could sleep on the couch. And she's just, thank you all for all the, the love and the, and the care and the hard work and the and the companionship and now you can live out the rest of your days doing whatever you want to do i don't care what you eat i don't care where you sleep you do whatever you want to do she died 30 days later Jeez. Mm. that dog was born to hunt that dog was born to hunt and when she couldn't do it anymore her purpose was gone her purpose was gone not my purpose for her her purpose was gone and i'm telling you if y'all have not gone through this I waited, so that was what I say, 2016. We got her in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic, which is actually a really cool story, which I hope I get to share. Um, I waited, what is that, four, four, years. four or five four years. years? yeah. And I was on a waiting list for Chapel specifically for about 18 months. So three and a half years, my wife and my, I've got little kids. And they're like, when we get a dog, when we get a dog? And I'm like, nope, I'm not doing that again. I don't want to love another dog. And when I got this one, I didn't want to love her either because losing them is so, I think it's worse than losing a grandparent. You don't live with your grandparents, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I think it's all, I, yeah, it's, it's the worst day. That's that, your companion that goes literally, like you said, chapel goes everywhere with you. That's your companion that goes everywhere with you. Everywhere with me. Everywhere. Even if your your kids aren't there, if your wife isn't there, the dog is still there. Right. So it's uh that's a tough thing, and 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 not to totally be Debbie Downer, but our situation with Weller was horrible because she got so sick about thirty days after I retired her, and I called the vet and said, "Hey, look, I need to bring her in like t- like tomorrow." So I brought her in. And I made the kids all say goodbye to her. And I carried her in the back of the car. And everybody's a mess. And I go in and the vet says, you know what? Let me just draw some blood because I want to see what's going on here. This is something's weird. And I'm like, draw blood. Let's, let's get this over with. Vet comes back 20 minutes later and goes, look, I think it's just blah, 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 or whatever. If I can give her a transfusion, I think you can get another six months. And I'm like, well, okay. So I leave the dog, go to work, come back, pick her up. She jumps in the back of the 
of my truck, back seat, jumps, jumps in. I had to carry her in. She jumps in the back of the truck. So now I come home with a dog that my kids thought was dead. All right. <laughs> and they're oh, like, what's going on here? And I'm like, well, guys, I think she's going to make it for a couple more months. So we did gave her some, you know, I didn't get into it, but we gave her some medicine and I think she's going to make it. By 10 o'clock that night, laying down, couldn't move. I called the vet. I said, we're, 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 not, we're, we're not doing this. I'll bring her in the morning. So the next morning, I get her in the back of the truck, backseat of the truck. I bring all the kids out again. And my middle guy goes, do we have to say bye to her every day now? I'm like, all right, yeah, we're not doing this. Well, it was awful. So we went and, and I couldn't leave the, the uh, parking lot for an hour. I couldn't drive. That is awful. You don't want to love them, but you do. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I saw a thing on uh, Facebook one time and it really kind of hit me hard. It was like, when you go to put your dog down, you get so many people that uh, a vet had wrote something about it. He's like, you so many people just bring their dog in and then like they want it put down. They want to go to the living room because they want to deal with it. And he was like, I can't tell you how many, how many dogs I've put down that like before they get the shot or whatever, they're, they're frantically looking for their human. No way. He was like, no, you like, I, I literally insist that that person is there when that happens because that comforts that dog in its last moments. Nope. I, I was on the ground. I think we get it. Yeah. You yeah. sure? Cause we can right, really on, auger I'm that knife having, in there a little I'm more if you like. It's little interruptions <laughs> in my manliness here. I don't know if they need to go uh, any more deeper, but yeah. But man, no, you're so great. You know, you're so grateful. You're so yeah. grateful at that point. And you're, you know, you lay there and you're stroking their head. And typically a vet will give them a, like a shot that just totally relaxes them. And then they kind of give them the right. coup d'etat. And um, <sighs> you're so grateful. Although I, I felt like I, I had a strange reaction because after she was gone, gone, the vet said, well, you know, do you want to, do you want to carry her back to the back or whatever, whatever they do back there? And I said, well, is she dead? And she said, yeah. And I go, then I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, she, I was with her right at her last waking moment. I don't want to be around my dead dog. Yeah. I wanted to be here with her. She was alive. And when she went on across the great, to the great quail hunt in the sky. And then I need to go cry this out. And when I was sitting in the parking lot, I forgot about this. God, this was brutal. So I'm a me- I am a puddle of a mess. I'm in a yeah. I'm in a old blue F two fifty in my front seat, and I am I am in a puddle. And this lady, sweet lady, knocks on the window. Of course, I'm like, what? Please tell me I'm parked in the wrong. Like I'm gonna fight her, you know. <laughs> and she goes, um, did you hunt with him? And I go, oh, yes. Oh, gosh. And she goes, my husband hated putting bird dogs down. Bless your heart. I said, Thank you. And uh, it <laughs> fell apart again for another hour. Thank you, lady. You know, when, when you have the, any dog is, is hard to lose, your, your family pet or, or whatever. But when you lose that hunting dog, you don't just lose a dog. You lose a dog, you lose a companion. You lose your third arm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lose the experiences you had. It's the connection is. I don't even know that 
deeper is a powerful enough word to explain that because that dog at a certain point becomes an extension of your body. Yeah. When you hunt with that dog, you wouldn't go hunt without your gun. Right. Right. Wouldn't do you much good to go hunt without your dog. When you, you're pursuing birds and things of that nature, doesn't just doesn't make sense to you anymore. The worst, I will tell you, said the worst part about four times, but another worst part is the first time you go back to the woods without your dog. Yeah. Mm. So that spring I was going up filling up feeders or whatever we were doing and Weller would typically just ride in the back of the ranger, back of my truck, whatever we're doing. And I remember I had a bunch of feeders I was going to go fill and I, and I turned around to close the tailgate on my truck and I said, and I, I wanted to say, all right, load, but she wasn't there. And I was like, <laughs> oh man, this, I don't, I don't want to be here either. This sucks. Mm. I've hard. You know, there's even a, <clears throat> you're 40, right? 40. Yeah. I'm 50. And there's a, there's a little deeper lesson in here. You know, when we were, uh, when we were in Kansas, I, I had, my knee was a little tender and I didn't really think much of it. But after our first day, I, I also managed to step in some kind of hole. Really jammed it up, man. And I thought I'd blown out a meniscus. I thought I'm my ACL. I thought it was a mess. I got back because, man, I, I wasn't faking that shit. I I was hard up, man. <laughs> like He could hard. It was painful to watch. Yeah. And I was fully braced up the th- second and third day. But I, I thought for sure I'm like, well, I'm going under the knife as soon as I get back because I got to go to New Orleans, right? Got, go to see the orthopedist the next day. Arthritis. And, like, I'm still, oh. I'm still banged. I'm wearing, I'm wearing a brace now. And it's getting better, man. They gave me a little uh, cortisone. And, you know, the good news is Arthur comes and goes. But where, I'm, where I was going my long word of narrative is that I'm 50. And uh, as much as I hate to, but I'm starting to break down. In fact, I, it's more important. In fact, I got to start joining you back in the pool. But um, you got to take care of yourself because this whole thing you just mentioned about, um, about Weller calling it quits and then being gone 30 days later. And, you know, hunting's not the only reason I live and things like that, but I, I have started thinking about, um, you know, because it is such an important part of my life and it's, it is what really ties me to the outdoors. And um, I do realize on some level there's going to be a day. Wow, this hit me a lot harder than I thought. There's going to be a day where it's your last time Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, at any rate, the the point of this whole thing is, uh, you know, take care of yourself because otherwise that day is going to come sooner. And I don't know if it's going to, I don't know what impact it's really going to have in my life, but I'm pretty sure just by the way I'm reacting right now and, and, and contemplating all these things, it ain't going to be a good one. Right. And, and I don't think, I hopefully I won't have a day where all of a sudden like I realize, well, this is the last one. And I start thinking in terms of, well, you know, you could always go out and have some fellers set up a bunch of goose decoys and all you got to do is lay down or you can get into a, you know, a, you can roll yourself into, <laughs> you know, a handicap, you know, a, a, you know, deer blind and things like that and keep it going and keep it going. But eventually you're going to get to a point where, you know, probably the juice just isn't worth the squeeze. And then, you know, the thing is, is, you know, how much longer you got after that? And I imagine that, there are life events like that. Uh, 
certainly I'm thinking like losing a spouse is probably another big one that, uh, you know, they don't, uh, they don't help increase your longevity. So these things that are dear to us, you know, if you're, if you're doing a better job of taking care of yourself, you're probably going to be able to stay at it longer. And if you can stay at it longer, you'll probably live longer. You know, so this whole, I think, you know, uh, what is it? Stephen Rinella says, I, uh, I live to hunt and hunt to live or vice versa. And you may think of that in terms of this is how I support myself or I'm a professional, but no, man, you know, that whole idea of hunting to live, it doesn't mean that you, you necessarily live to hunt. I mean, I, I don't know where, maybe I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I think at least in my case, and I think for folks that are listening to this podcast are probably a little more diehard, certainly the guys in this room that, you, you got to be able to stay at it or you're going to start losing other things that are dear to you too. Cause I can't right now. I do not have another hobby or avocation that would come close to filling the gap. And I don't really see one like, well, someday when I don't hunt this much, maybe I'll do that. Cause golf just isn't, I, I'm sorry. I know you love golf. <laughs> you know, I don't get it. I, I brought this up on an episode just before Christmas. Um, but, my dad took me hunting from the time that I was a very young age. Um, I mean, I, I was hunting with my, my dad before I could, I was still in the car seat in the truck when he ran dogs here in the Ocala national forest where we're near where we live now. And then, you know, three, four or five years old. And I've carried my son out from that age. And I know that there was a time when my dad led me into the woods and he put me in a deer stand and I hunted and I know there will come a time when I lead my own father into the woods and I put him in a deer stand and he hunts and I know there will come a time when my son or my daughter leads me into the woods and puts me in a deer stand and I hunt there's a reason we do this kind of podcast once a year. On yeah, a, <clears throat> on, a, on a little better. It's a generational yeah. thing, though. Yeah. You know, it it it, it uh, it's why we do what we do. It's a passion. If it if there wasn't passion involved in all this, be it hunting with dogs or hunting in general, Kids. I wouldn't be sitting here trying to fight back tears right now. Yeah, <laughs> not doing a great job at it, but <clears throat> all, all our manliness is running out of the floor. <laughs> right, yeah. kind of like Crocs. Briar, brighten it up. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, a little more lighthearted subject. Kind of goes along the same lines, but it's a little happier. You know, Will's got, you know, two kids that he's trying to get in the doors. I know you mentioned about your three boys. Yep. You know, let's talk about getting your kids in the woods. Man. I mean, for How me, much more time do we have? Yeah. For as me, much my, that's as much as you dog, want, but. man. Gosh. This, uh, this is a two podcast episode. Two I, I don't podcast. think. I, I don't think. I don't think. There is something that you can do in today's age, an activity, uh, barring, you know, raising your kids right, right? Keep them in church and teach them the right things. And But I mean an activity that you can do that is more important than putting your kids in the woods. And I would say especially boys. Especially boys. So here, here. 
I'm sure my son Jack's going to listen to this, and I don't know if he'll get all the way through this, but Jack killed his first doe last year out in Montana on Thanksgiving Day. It was a big to-do. And this year he went step for step for me, step for step with me uh, on about a six-day elk hunt in snowy, snowy, snowy weather. We're looking for a whitetail for him. Um, he learned a very valuable lesson this year. He's shooting a little two, four, uh, a little two, little two twenty-three, like a fifty-seven grain bullet, right? Remington model seventeen, maybe model. Model 70 would be. Model 70. Yep. Sorry. Little tiny thing. And uh, I killed a, a, a cow elk that morning. Uh, my first elk ever. And uh, we're riding back to get something. We come back and deal with that elk. And um, there is a monster buck out there. I mean, so I said, all right, well, here we go. So we got out and put the stock on him. And he shot uh, that deer. And um, didn't move. I said, man, God, did you miss him? I don't think so. I said, shoot him again. So he shot him again. And I had my rifle raised, and I said, Jack, I want to put him down. He goes, no, 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 Dad, 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 Dad. If you shoot him, then it won't be my deer. I said, dude, I need to put him down. No, 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 no. And he, he talked me out of it. He, he totally talked me out of it. Well, sure enough, that deer went up the ridge, and I assumed bedded down. So we went back. I said, we'll go deal with the cow. Let's get her cleaned up and loaded. We'll come back and get your buck, and then we'll take them both to the process. Well, we came back, and we started hunting this buck, and this was, y'all, this was an unbelievable deer. Snow on the ground? Oh, yeah. No blood. Oh. And we get to the top of this ridge, and essentially a three-legged deer takes off. Neither one of us have the wherewithal to raise our rifle. It's gone. And Jack, my friend Tom Wolf and I, and I hunted this wounded deer for the next three, two days. And we never found him. He was so heartbroken for what he had done. It's on me. I should have shot him, right? I should have put him down. But I got so caught up in the moment and him being so concerned about it, it's my deer it's, it's, you know, I want, I'm put on the wall, you know, and of course we thought he was gone, right? We thought, or we thought, we thought he was, he was dead and he wasn't, but we spent the rest of our trip hunting that deer and we never found him. And we were walking through all kinds of bottoms and junk and everything where they'd go off to die. And there's no question he was mortally wounded. No question about it. And so, you know, I, I can't imagine he lasted more than the rest of the day, but we never found him. And that night I put him to bed. Um, out in Montana and man he was one upset dude he was one upset dude man I dad my shot placement my shot placement my, I've shot, been placement, there. my shot placement fortunately we went back a few weeks later uh, over Thanksgiving again and he got him an absolutely awesome awesome buck um, but that was a very long winded story to say the, there was a lesson in compassion there's a lesson in, in empathy. There's a lesson in shot placement, how important it is when you pull the trigger to know where you're shooting him. Um, there was a lesson in forgiving yourself for making a mistake, right? Those lessons, I don't, 
are, I think, are best taught in the woods. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I have a, I'll finish with this real quick with this. We have some friends who joined us out there over Thanksgiving. And um, he said, my friend said to me, he's got a boy about Jack's age, and he said to me, you know, there are things that I would never let my son do that you let Jack do. And I said, well, that's because Jack's been doing these things for five, six years. I would never let my son hop on a four-wheeler and run down to the whatever. Well, Jack doesn't screw around on a four-wheeler because he's been doing this stuff. Because the first sign of stepping out of line, in the woods, there are no second chances. None. And I think, you know, it's just so important to get boys in the woods. My little guys, they go up to Baker with us. There's a, we had a whole process. You can start going when you're four. You get a BB gun when you're six. You can bird hunt when you're 10, 11, depending on maturity. And so I got two guys that have been riding a wagon, you know, for the last several years, and they've never pulled the trigger. And that's just part of it. Now, they help clean birds, and they like the cripples. They can hold them and play with them. And they like the dogs and help moving dogs in and out of the kennels and stuff and helping our man Bruce out. But the reward will be, and the patience of the reward will be that they get to hunt one day. And Jack's hunting this year, and he did had a great quail season, a great quail season. So he's had he's had quite the year. Yeah, it's funny that you, you mentioned that. And there's a lot of things you know, four wheelers or, or even children with firearms. How do you mean children? I have no problem at all with you know a a child being introduced to firearms at a really young age, six seven years old, no problem. Or even four wheelers, um, and I'm a big believer in ages and stages. Right, you give kids things when they're ready to handle them, and you say, "Wait, you just don't just seem to two things contradict each other." Like, nope. You give a child a firearm at age six, you're all over them like white on rice. I'd say BB gun, right? No, twenty-two, uh, twenty gauge. I think that's a. This is my opinion. I disagree. I, I think that. My personal feeling, say on a, a BB gun, is there's no there's no noise, there's no report, right? There's no it, it, it's it seems a little bit too much like a toy. And I would I, my my feeling on it is that they need to understand that this is serious business. And that's where I'm going with it is when that child might be seven years old and handling an honest to god firearm firearm. It's you as the parent when they're handling that firearm that they have to handle that firearm as though they were 26 years old. Like they have to bear all the responsibility. Now in reality, that means you are bearing the responsibility for that six year old. So you, you have to hover and you have to watch everything they're doing and you praise them when they do things right. And you let them know, you know, if they, even if you, you've watched them unload the farm or anything else like that, and they get careless and they cross, you know, they cross your body with the muzzle. You know, and I say you beat them, but you you, know, you let them know, whoa, whoa, whoa. you know, and, yeah. and very sternly, like, what did you just do? And they'll know, right? Because the fact that you're disappointed in them sometimes is devastating. It is devastating. I've watched it happen. But if you, if you give them that training, and that still doesn't mean you just turn them turn them loose on their own the next day. I mean, this is this is a, this is a period of walking up to it. But if you start them at six, and you know, or in a four wheeler. You give them the rules and you're with them and you're operating it. They're operating it with you on the back and then you're turning them loose on the farm. Helmets. Helmets and all, yeah. 
And you know, you, you know damn well they're going to hot rod eventually. And just expect it. They're going to hot rod. And when you see them hot riding, you park it, right? And you do it. And 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 eventually, you know, they they may mess themselves up a little bit. But I'm like, <sighs> I keep looking now at young men and women who are coming to full physical maturity. And man, I tell you what, man, I, I hands down take some of the 12 year old young men and women that I see regularly driving tractors, hunting with shotguns by themselves. They've just learned and earned it. They're they're there. They can understand the devastating power of making a mistake. And there is some self-preservation and maybe, you know, they're not all, there's some 25 year olds probably shouldn't be behind the wheel. They just don't have, I'm not kidding. And they don't have the maturity to really accept the responsibility, but that's on the parents. And if you as the parent and you as the guide are giving them the proper instruction, the sooner you expose them to the fact that life can have devastating consequences, the better, because it's better off than finding out, finding it out when they come with handcuffs. And, uh, I just think that as a society, we have gotten, and this is supposed to be a hunting podcast, we've gone so far the other direction, and don't let them fall down the stairs, don't let them play with fire, oh, they should, you know, oh, yeah. dude, man, the only thing a kid can do is play Xbox, they're going to have to go outside eventually. I'll say, let them play with fire, you know what they get burnt, you know what they're not going to want to do next time? Yeah, play get with burnt. fire? Get burnt when they, Yeah. So I, I can say that from the get-go, at the very beginning, uh, my son was uh, one or two, and it, there's always been a rule in the house that uh, we have firearms, and they are locked up. But nothing's off limits. You want to see a gun? You come up and ask me, Dad, can I see that? Sure. I will go and get it out of the safe. I will unload it. I will let you hold it. We'll talk about gun safety. When we're done, we'll put it away, and we'll be done with it. I started my son off with a Red Rider at about just before he turned five. And but the first year or so we had the Red Rider, I was on top of him about gun safety. All of a sudden, now he's five going on six. We go to the hunting camp, give him the Red Rider. Can I shoot my BB gun? Sure. Hand him the Red Rider. He goes out on his own out there in front of camp, sets him a can out there, starts shooting in his can. Dad, can I wander off over here? And Sure. He'll wander off down two, three hundred yards from camp chasing birds or shooting off into the pond or whatever he wants to do. And he comes back. He's tired of it. We unload it, put the safety on, stick it back where it needs to go. And then just a few weeks ago, he fired a four, uh, 410 by himself for the first time. Now he shoots my 22. Uh, he's killed a few more hens. I'll, I'll shoulder a 12 gauge because it's a little much for a, a five-year-old, 45, five-year-old. Yeah. And I'll help him hold that, but he squeezed the trigger, shoots some more hens and coots and stuff. He shouldered that 410 on his own. He I, shouldered the 410 yeah, on his I, own and fired but, it and shot a Mountain Dew can. Yeah. I, Real quick. Okay. I, me, and him, me and Will was uh, more hen hunting with Rylan. I think, what was that? When was that? That was a couple years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. No, no, no. no that was, was right after he got his BB gun. It was when I first got my boat. Mm-hmm. Rylan had his BB gun, and he's like, you asked me, he goes, you want to shoot one with the shotgun? And I think he, he shouldered it, and he'd shot one on the water. And this is like the second round, and the moorhen takes off, and O'Reilly pulls the trigger and stones that moorhen on on the wing. <laughs> I did I, so there. I for the most part when it comes to twelve gauge, I take the weight of the gun and he takes control of the firearm. As far as if there's you know 
safety infractions, obviously, I'll take back control of it. But I'll take the way his gun, let him move it and aim it and everything else. But he's growing up and he understands. I get this question a lot. Hey, Dad, can my BB gun kill this? I'm like, no, son. It's just a BB gun. I said, but you, that doesn't mean, you know, we can't point at this. We can't do that. You need to treat it like a real firearm, like a real gun. I was going to say, okay. I, I'll give it to William and, and even me and my dad or the rest of the family that even though Ryland has had his BB gun, Ryland's BB gun to the point where you say they feel too much like a toy, Ryland has had it instilled in him that even though it is a BB gun, you don't, you don't flash people with the barrel of it. You keep it pointed in a safe direction when you're carrying it and all that. And even if he doesn't, you tell him he doesn't. You don't do that. He walks off. You'll watch him walk off on his own with that BB gun. 200 yards out, he's still got it pointed at the ground. He's looking up in the trees. Good. Trying to find a Tweety Bird. But that's just something that was from the get-go. This is how it's going to be done. This is how it's going to be done. And this treated, is how you do it. If you don't do it that way, you The BB gun was still treated like a firearm. Right. That's why we. That's it's what it, we did with our guys. And I, I made a practice of once I felt like, okay, we're a little more comfortable. Now you can go up your tree fort and, like you said, throw a can out in the yard or something up at camp. I'd sneak up there behind him, and I'd say, hand me your gun. And if that gun wasn't on safety, that BB gun wasn't on safety, we're done for the day. And it could be 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, and you're done for the day. That's devastating, right? Well, you just said right of the money. There, there has to be a consequence. It's we're done. As yeah. painful it is for you, because you want to have the same, like you don't want to have to say, that's the thing people realize. I don't, I don't want the kid to be done. You have to, Dad. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, it's going to happen again next time. But those lessons, that's exactly what my father did with me. He was a competitor. I mean, he was New York State expert. Expert? No. Master class. New York State pistol champion in 1967 and again in 1969. This is a guy that was really into shooting. And uh, that's part of the reason why knowing at six that you can start there. And that was the level of maturity because he started my brother later and it was a maturity issue at the time. Um. But you, if there was a violation, you know, he'd give me a stern lecture, but there was never a yelling or berating or certainly no physical violence, no threat, no, no hitting. The worst thing, man, is you're out there, going to have a day at the range, you screwed up, pack it, we're done. We're done. And we're going home. And there's not going to be a stop for a hot dog and some french fries on the way home. We're just going home. And it was just... Oh, and you know, I think like the first time I made, I can't even what the infractions were twice, but man, like the first time there was some begging and pleading and nope, he was unyielding. Second time, just pure shame on the way home. Never happened again, you know, and uh, I know I'm only one person, but that's, you see an awful lot of kids. It just works but you have to give them the chance to have responsibility you almost have to set them up for some failure at times but that's up to you is that you know what's going to happen you know the kids eventually going to screw up you know you know you, you, once you know that the rifle is totally unloaded just you know when he's doing his thing he's eventually going to screw up he's going to look down the barrel or he's going to cross his body or your body with it and i'm pretty sure Looking back, that's exactly what my dad did. And he was watching out because the reaction was immediate. It wasn't like, I mean, he was he was paying attention. He was waiting for He was waiting. It. He yeah. was waiting to close the door on me. And he was going to drive home the lesson. 
and it's six or seven years old, you don't sit there and have the, you, you don't think that your dad was setting you up, but he, I'm, and he's dead now. I can't ask him. I'm positive. He was setting up that lesson to drive it home deep. You it have worked. to let, you have to let kids make mistakes in a safe environment. Yeah. And he would have conversations that if you screw this up, I'm the one that goes to jail. Yeah. Oh, you send your father to jail. Pretty devastating too at a young age. Like disproportionate response. It kind of goes back to shot collar and a dog. You know, yeah. it, it, it works. So, you know, people might listen to this and disagree with me and say that I'm careless. Fine. I'll live with it. My kids have been around firearms their entire lives and damn sure they know how to treat them and be safe. I, I'm just, I just do not worry about my kids around guns. And that's the, in my, you might choose not to have a firearm on your home. No excuse. They still need to understand because they're not always going to be in your, they're going to run into a gun eventually. That's a great point. Jim, that's an awesome point because I think about I'm not I'm not worried about my kids around firearms. I'm worried and my guns are also locked up and the ammo's locked up separate. And it's it's a it's Fort Knox again in my guns, but I'm not worried about my kids around guns, but I'm worried about the kid who comes from a home who doesn't have firearms, who's inquisitive, who's curious. Sure. And they're not going to get a hold of them at my house. But what about the other guys, you know, the other friend's house? And that's, to your to your point here, that kind of general um, comment you just made. Even if you don't have firearms in your house, you need to teach your kids about it. My it boys ought to be know, taught in school. <laughs> yeah. It really should. And that's not just some, come on, they're around and they're never going away. You know, my boys know, you know, all the way down to six years old. And this started when they were, you know, little. But my little guy's six now. If if there's a gun on the counter, I love to ask him this. Hey, if there was a gun on this counter, what would you do? You know, the, the friend's answer is, well, I'd see if it's real. And my boys are like, nope, we'd let dad see if it's real. Bingo. Let's let dad see if it's real. It's, it's probably not, because why would I leave a gun on the counter? Right. Yeah. Right? It's probably your brother's gun from Target or whatever, you know, his cap gun or whatever, but let me decide. It's good because to, to assume you're infallible and don't get distracted before, you know, you get home. Oh, come home, you drop your stuff, yeah. And you phone rings, next thing you know. Yeah, it's it, it, no second chances with that. Nope. Well, before we close this thing out, you guys got any closing thoughts? I appreciate you guys having me. And I really enjoyed the opportunity to, to, uh, to talk about Chapel and Weller. It's fun to reminisce some great Weller stories. Wish y'all yeah. could have seen her hunt. Um, I'm really honored to, to be around you guys. I, I, I think y'all have a, uh, inordinate passion for what you do. Um, I heard a, a guy tell me one time about, um, getting in the woods. He goes, buddy, I need a turd for breakfast every morning. If you told me I could do it every day. And I feel <laughs> like you guys are those guys. <laughs> and I like that. I like yeah. that about y'all. And, um, I, I, I'm, I'm uh, very proud to, to, to have met you guys and um, everything that um, that y'all are doing. It's uh, is awesome. And, and the awareness you're raising and you've got a um, awesome partner here in Jim and I've just really enjoyed uh, 
coming closer with him, and I hope we can all get in the woods sometime here soon and y'all can see chapel work. Um, <laughs> and I'm just I'm grateful to be here. Thank you very much. So honored and again, I'm a very average person, average dog handler with an, a very um, extraordinary dog, and very grateful for that. Yeah. I, and if I didn't say it, I, I will say it. I don't know. You need to cut this too, or, or if I could plug this, but Marty Roberts at Sporting Life Kennels in Oxford, Mississippi is, and I, y'all, I had deposits at four different kennels around the country, including some of the ones that you see in some of these magazines. Um, and I did a ton of research, talked to these folks, and I became most confident because of the way Marty talked to his dogs, because of the way he trains his dogs. He's got a ton of videos. Marty's got a program that you can get online called Retriever University, which is awesome. You can also send your dog off, which we didn't even really get into training, but I sent Chapel off for two months to him. But he's got a six to eight month program for gun dogs. Um, and we could do another podcast because we didn't even no, get into we're gonna, training. Oh, we're going to have to do another We podcast. didn't even get yeah, into training. And listen, I, I want to get into a, a quail hunt with you, too. Training was, I've never really done much quail hunting. I was going to talk to you about the- about uh, about that off air, but yeah, well, we'll get to that here in a minute. Before we before we close out of here, we're gonna give. <laughs> that, that's the, how you tactfully invite yourself to a quail plant. Done. Yeah, <laughs> come on, boys, bring it now. We'll get into the tip of the week, man, and I, and I'll lead us off and say, you know, when it comes to dogs, that obedience is key. Whether you have your couch dog or your hunting dog, obedience training is will change the way you see a dog. And because I always had dogs when I was, we had dogs throughout our entire life when we were growing up and they didn't necessarily listen. Um, and as I got older, that bothered me and I wanted to make sure that the dogs I had as an adult listened to what I said because I wanted, I just wanted obedient dogs. I wanted a dog. I don't think we, we had a dog that would jump through a hula hoop, yeah. uh, but she wouldn't sit. Right. <laughs> so th- those things, they, they bothered me as an adult and I wanted to make sure that my dogs would sit and stay and do what they were told. And, uh, so I never went into training my hunting dog, training dogs to hunt, but obedience training was something that I focused on and it made, it has made a world of difference. I'm going to go in and say, if you haven't had the opportunity to hunt with somebody that uses a dog, do it, take the opportunity and do it. If go somewhere, hunt with somebody that has a dog and just watch the passion between the dog and the owner. So I got a question and it's, it's not to suggest that the dog owner is lazy. Kind of like there are some you know, with kids. Some lessons are learned from other people better than from you. Is it, I got to think to a certain extent, if you can, there's got to be some definite benefits to taking your dog to someone, and there's a matter of cost here, but to someone who that's what they do. They're, they're, they're experts in it. They're good at it. But even if you had the same level of talent, perhaps having somebody else do it, especially maybe for some of the unpleasant things, or is that maybe myth? I'll probably call that myth. Okay. But I think you're swimming around non-myth. Okay. Uh the reality is there's nobody in this room that has, forget knowledge. Time. First of all, we don't have the knowledge, right? But okay. forget that for a second. Time and consistency and experience. 
the when I went to visit Chapel at Sporting Life when she was up there, the care, the compassion, the time, the energy, and the experience that these guys have to because cur- they're getting dogs. They, not everybody's dog showed up like Chapel, right? They'll, you know, these whisperers. They're 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 they've got the experience. So I, you're, you're you're right. Maybe not for all the reasons you said, but you you are right, and that you should let a professional. If you have the means, you should you should let a professional train your dog because as these guys will attest. Even your house dog, I think, if you can have afford an obedience trainer, do, do it. it. It's worth it. But there are no second chances in the woods. Go back to what we said earlier. And if you can have a professional dial that in, and they're going to make mistakes. You know, they're young dogs. They're going to make mistakes. But so you're right, but maybe not for all the reasons. Yeah, no, no, I, I think you're right. It, it, make, <clears throat> it makes sense because professional dog trainers probably don't take their dogs to other trainers. Right. But the whole point is that professional dog trainers, it's all they do. Right. And you're just not going to get that level of expertise on your own. Or take, well, you have to go through a dozen dogs to get there or more. I wouldn't do it. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I, I started her myself, but I didn't finish her off at. You know, I sent her off to the pros. If, if, if you have the money, I would mind. I'm thinking about doing it for my next dog, having my dog sent off. And one, I don't have the time because I work a full time, full time job. And that's a full time job. It is. That dog, whether that dog is actually in a training session or you're just in the yard that or I'm taking my dog to go see my parents or whatever. That dog is always training. Mm-hmm. There's always a lesson for that dog to learn and those guys have the time to take the time you know they can spend you know an hour a day with that dog you know it's tough for me to get an hour a day with my dog you know on a day and an actual training session but that guy he's going to take that dog out and he's going to do it and then he's going to take another dog for 15 minutes and then that dog gets several 15 minute sessions a day so i'm going to jump in and say you say your next dog but Bell's three, and we have an extremely good kennel here in Lake County. I forget the name of the guy. Doyle's Farm and Kennels. Doyle's Farm and Kennels. Great guy. Awesome kennel. Awesome with dogs. My dog's three years old, and I'm still thinking about taking my dog to him because there's stuff that I just haven't figured out how to train her to do. And I know that, like you said with taking lines, like you can stop her mid run and tell her which way to go. I just can't get Belle to take that. I, I can't get her to take that from me, but I know that I can take her there. Even at three years old, I can take her there and he can finish her off for me. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's too late to take your dog somewhere no, to get her it, finished off. No, not at all, but so, just, so, oh, so, so can I have two tips of the week? You can have. Oh, we two, have tip of the week. Well, well, yeah. Well, oh, we could, if you want to I say, miss that. you can save that if you want for your tip of the week because he hadn't really. Gone I already, into already. Well, he gave did his, but I, 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 I can wait. Yeah. Um, well, go ahead. If the, I didn't know we were in the tip of the week. Sorry. <laughs> we cannot be. I thought we were finishing thoughts. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I gave my tip of the week already. Y'all I gave. Ahead, yeah, I gave mine too. Gave his, but. I didn't owe it nowhere. It happens. Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So 
like the bull in the china shop that I am, I'm going to give two. That go for it. And the first one is, um, you can overtrain a puppy. You can overtrain a puppy, and you don't realize you're doing it, and you're doing it, and you can burn a dog out. And unfortunately, I've seen it, and it's very hard to recover from. Um, a puppy, a puppy does not need more than five or 10 minutes of work a day. Mm. Again, I'd look at a retriever university or something like that. If you want an online program to follow, that's a proven deal, right? Whether it's your guy here in, in Lake County, it, it, pick it, take a program, pick it. You are not smarter than the program. Take pick a proven program, stick with it. Five, 10 minutes with a day. You can over, train a puppy you will burn your puppy out number two you've got to continue to work throughout the life of the dog you've got to you've got to dial your dog in you got to get your dog in shape for hunting season you shouldn't let your dog get fat start with but you've got to keep your training sharp so i mean i don't i can work chapel for way more than five or ten minutes a day now but i'm i try to get three four times a week i try to get her out for half an hour and I'm just doing bumpers, right? Um, I've got a, I might do a bumper launch her into the lake and I'll send her on backs or I might uh, send her on a back and then throw two dummies out, bring her back, put her on her place board and send her on blind retrieves. And where I'm just trying to keep that relationship tight between us. So you can overtrain a puppy. Don't do it. Make it fun. Five, 10 minutes a day with a puppy puppy under six months and continue your training with your older dogs or as your dogs mature more and more. It's hmm. a good one. Jim Breyer. I'm thinking if I want to recycle my same one again, <laughs> you can do better now. Um, I'll, I'll let you think. So I, I love to hunt and I love to hunt behind dogs, love upland hunting yet. I can't have dogs. Right. And, this is supposed to be a par- It's just an example. There are certain things we don't all have access to. So you, you have to court these relationships and they're not, you know, I'm, I'm building a relationship with Ryan. I know your good friend, Roman Hamas, um, Brian Irish, you know, but you can't just call these fellers up because you want to go hunting. Right. If they give the invitation, you got to try to move heaven and earth to go. Right. Um, if they ask you to do something, you know, be be there for them. You know, become friends. You you have to invest in these things, um, and that's true whether you'd like to hunt more deer, you 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 want to learn something new about a public land area. You know, I think um, hunters are often known for being stingy. Or, or, or cagey with hunting spots. And I've been, I, I tend to share mine pretty freely because I, I know how hard they come by. But admittedly, I, I now that I think about that, who do I share them with? I don't just share them with some guy that comes walking up. You know, like uh, if it's somebody that has come to two or three of our, hey man, they've been in a, they've been in a crawfish boil, they were at the pig roast, they show up on Saturday. I know this is going to sound silly and it's only squirrels, but, Dude, I got some spots dropped on that place in Seminole Forest. I'll walk them to the tree. You know what I mean? Why? Because they've they've been around. They've got a vested interest. Show show that you have a vested interest. 
show that you enjoy it. Be respectful to the dogs. Be respectful to the sport. And you know what? Holy cow. The doors just open. I've, I've not, I've not had to ask, you know what I mean? I've been asked, but when that invitation comes, whew, you've just, I don't know, you can't kill them with enough kindness. And that, you know, I'm not saying that to Brown knows you, Brian, Ryan. It's just, you know, geez, man, be appreciative. Don't just, thanks, and wander out the door, you know what I mean? And, and it, but more importantly is if you, if you, if you want those experiences, I don't know, earn them, you know, yeah. show up, be around. I'm not saying go off to shovel a guy's driveway or whatever. You can't do that down here anyway, but it is, it's, it's, uh, like with UPO, probably the easiest way is come to our stuff, you know, participate in the chats. You know, you don't have to hit us with a bunch of BS you know, but man, at least show us that you tuned in. I think I'm speaking for all of us in the room, but I'm pretty sure from from watching in the conversations we had, man, we'll roll out the red carpet. But I th- and that's I don't think unique to us. I think almost every sportsman's like that. We're all cagey as hell till you're in the club. And then what's mine is yours. Hard club to get into. Yeah. Easy club to get out of. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Shoot a dog. You're on the dead to me list. Get my yeah. <laughs> Let's not walk down that road. Yeah. Hopefully that never happens. What do you got, Briar? Well, mine is, uh, you know, we like to talk about, you know, success in the field and, you know, what we brought home. But uh, mine's enjoy the journey. You know, with with dogs, it's it adds so much more because you got, you know, that time training you know, all of it and enjoy the journey. It's, you know, we touched on it. You know, if I never killed another duck in my life, as long as my dog got to go pick him up, I don't care. You know, enjoy it. Enjoy, enjoy the view when you're out, you know, in the flatwoods quail hunting or, you know, in Kansas, Kansas is beautiful. I've been there, you know, um, enjoy all of it. Take it all in. You know, it's not always about, you know, what you brought home. It's about the experience, the people you spend it with, that kind of stuff. Well, before we let you guys go, Jim keeps referencing Saturday, but by the time you hear this, Saturday is too far gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You missed the small game hunting Seminole Forest, but don't fear because February 5th, we have our last one of the season in Ocala National Forest. So hopefully we'll see you guys out there. Uh, we've been giving away some Onyx premium memberships, and we've still got two more to hand out at the Ocala. Uh, rendezvous at the game hunt. Pittman Visitor Center at yep. 6.30 in the morning. Yep. Oh, I'll have a hot late coffee, but not enough for you. That might so, be a little late. I'll maybe setting up decoys. Hey, you no, you won't. Not in February. That's the weekend of the veterans hunt, sir. Oh, it is, isn't it? That's right. Oh, hey. Hey. I might the be same. a little late, too. <laughs> 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 I might be at the, the, the second rendezvous after. After the hunt, yeah, we get that. Uh, we get that extra weekend. I got a spot in the fort. We can still hunt Ocala. I got a, you know, maybe a couple spots. One hadn't checked out yet. But, ah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. But if you can't make the the, the uh, small game hunt in February, don't don't worry. I'm gonna hit you with a real advance notice. May seventh is the second annual Under Pressure Outdoors Crawfish Boil. Uh, tickets haven't gone on sale yet, but they will here soon. 
And uh, that was a great time last year with like 85 people in attendance and more crawfish than 85 people could eat. Oh, yeah. Barely. We damn sure tried to eat all 85 pounds. Oh, yeah. Just the guys at this table. We had 200. No, no, it was 160 pounds. 160? Well, it was over 100 pounds of crawfish. Oh, I think I ate at least 60 pounds myself. (laughs) (laughs) Still carrying most of it around my waist. It's a it's a good time, great time to fellowship. Come out, and have a few beers, eat some eat some mud bugs, and and uh, win some sweet prizes. And because we're gonna you know raffle something off like we've done at all of our events to benefit a, a nonprofit charity. I don't know who we're we, gonna benefit yet okay. this year. We haven't, we, haven't we, picked the, one. we haven't sat down and talked about that, but uh, we'll find somebody and we'll we'll hold another raffle and give some cool stuff away that's worth far more than what you're going to pay for tickets. Well, I say it's going to be worth far more than what you're going to pay for tickets. I don't know what you're going to spend on the amount of tickets you buy in order to win it. I don't know. I spent $100 on that bow, and uh, old Cameron Gordon, 20 bucks wins it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never live that one down. No. Yeah, never but, happen again. you got to spend at least 100 bucks to win. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe two. But uh, even even when we did that though, right? So we had the raffle, we had a separate raffle for the bow that we had for the cooler that's packed full of hunting stuff. And in that cooler the, this year, to be another one, I'm sure that we packed full of more springtime hunting stuff. I got turkey calls sitting there. I've got all kinds of stuff sitting in the closet that go back in that cooler. So it's over in May. That's why we do it then. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Fishing gear. Well, yeah, we'll figure it out. You probably get turkey all kinds calls of stuff anyway because I got to get rid yeah. of them one way or another. But yeah. So, and on top of that, we got more hats in production. So they'll be available sometime in the next. Lots more. Uh, last time I checked, there were like four weeks out. We so got patch hats this time around. Not yet. Not yet. No, yeah. they're still working on that. That's uh, there's been a, some complications there, but we're handling it. Working on it. More of the regular embroidered hats. All right. And then some other stuff to follow after that. So, other than that, we'll catch you guys next week. Ryan, I, I I really thank you for joining us. It's been a great episode. It's been absolutely my pleasure. And thank we're you guys to, for having me. We're going to have to sit down for another one because yeah. we have this long outline sitting here in front of us, and I think we touched about a third of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I'm happy to do it again. Now, if all your listenership dwindles after this, I'll – I won't well, come no, back. No, man, it's I, been a great there, one. There, there's one stipulation. If you come back, you got to bring Chapel with you. I'll bring Chapel with us. You know what would be – I don't know if you're – is your gear mobile? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, we might need to – I don't know what my schedule looks like, but we might need to do this around the fire at Baker Quail Plantation. I hear they're pretty I good. have oh I have literally packed up everything you see in this room and taken it to Piney Woods Hunt Lodge in Fall, Alabama, set it up on a table there and done the same thing we've done right here. I don't know worse than that. You did it all the way out at the uh I've done it in the middle of the woods. Yeah. I've done it in plantations. I've done it all over the place. So we designed this specifically to be mobile. I have actually a smaller setup than what you see here that we could carry around. These things all pop out. Yeah, well, if, if 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 not if we don't get in the woods this year because season is getting really close to the end here, but if we don't, we will. Um, but man, I'm I'm just honored to spend this time with you guys. Really, oh, we're honored to have you. I mean, yes, it's sir. just awesome. It's awesome. I like talk about her all day long. So I'm uh, happy to happy to be here. Well, get a dog, folks. Get a dog. Pack the guns, boys. We're going to McClinney. <laughs> yeah, we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah. Adios. See. You.